name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 147 of Cinebugs. So today on the show, we have our guest, co-host of the Shameless Picture Show podcast, Mr. Michael Viers. Mike, what's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Hey, I, I just appreciate that, you know, even though you asked me ahead of time, I just appreciate when people get my name right. Hey, man. Because <laughs> we're professional Cinepunks HQ. That I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> we do a thing. Don't worry about it, bro. Check yeah, I, mail, I like dog. this. I like this pretend that we're doing right now. This is a fun <laughs> play acting that we're doing. Yeah, um, this cosplay of, uh, of professionalism. It's good. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this is very much one of those things, y'all. If you're like, oh, Mike's on the podcast. How do I get on the podcast? Uh, Mike had me on his podcast. So then I was like basically blood obligated like mike could have <laughs> could have been like we're not even going to talk about a movie we're just going to talk about your sex life and i'd be like okay i got to now because yeah, plus i kept begging well you did you, <laughs> you all, come you, on man you also did the you also did the other thing that prospective guests always forget to do which is bring it up multiple times like no everyone wants to seem real casual so they're like i'd like to come on sometime and i go oh that's a great idea i'll tell josh and then they never bring it up again it's like it never happened if i don't yep. have something <laughs> brought up to me like at least 10 times i mean josh the other day you saw this on the internet uh our good friend christopher exington was asked about being on the show and i was like me and josh have been talking about having chris on the show since 2015 so true. So like so multiple true. times, like eight, like like Mike, we would start the year with a list of prospective guests. Chris X, a dude who we know, who like I, at one point in my life I could walk to his house from my house. He's been on that list forever <laughs> since as long as there's been a Cinepunks, he's been on the list. He's never been on the show. Heck, and I've, I've even I've, run I've into him like at screenings. I'm like, yo, Chris X, when are you going to come on the show? Like, I don't know. Let's talk after this screening. And then nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking so I blank. have a guest like that. A good friend of mine named Brian Hollandyke, who's, who's like my short list of guests when I first started this show. And like every season, I'm like, Brian, I need to get you on. I need to get you on. I, he was at my house the other day. I was like, Brian, I'm going to give you some homework. And I want you to come up with a list of movies you want to talk about. He's like, yeah, I sent you a list like two years ago. I'm like, okay, homework is to find that list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your show shameless picture show yep. and let me make sure we're me and josh are both hitting this because it's shameless. i'm yep. assuming this is you know this is about you uh, to me this is feels vulnerable because i don't know josh if you feel this way sometimes admitting to our fellow movie fans that there might be something you haven't seen it's a act of vulnerability. Like we do it on this show, but sometimes it's a hard thing to do. And it's the entire thesis of your podcast, right? Yep. Yep. That was wow. the whole conceit behind it is, you know, I went, I went to, to film school and admitting you haven't seen something in film school is like putting a fucking target on your back. Right. Are we want yeah. to swear on this show. Yes. We can yeah. 100%. I'm just going to decide that I can swear on your show. Yeah, um, no, we, uh, <laughs> all the time. It's true. Um, but no, like when you, you, you don't admit that you haven't seen something and in, in, a lot of things that I haven't seen is like big seminal films. It's not that I didn't want to see the to see Apocalypse Now. I just thought, well, Apocalypse Now is not going anywhere. I'm sure I'm going to like Apocalypse Now. But what are some of these other weird movies that I haven't seen? And I just, me and my co-host Nick, we were just like, well, we need a theme of some sort. We need something to figure out what we're going to watch. And we just realized that, like, you know, there's so many movies that we've been looking for an excuse to see. And there's so, so much shame comes from when, you, when you're a movie fan and you haven't seen something. Or you have, like, aunts and uncles who just assume, like, like anytime they're like, 
I've seen a movie you haven't. And I was like, yeah, and I've seen probably 300 you haven't even heard of. <laughs> and it becomes a moment of shame. So we were like, well, what's, how about we just take this concept and just be cool with the fact that we haven't seen something and admit to it and share the love from that. And we just wanted to create a show about positivity. Have you felt like people have embraced that? Like you get a positive reaction from that? Cause to me being vulnerable like that seems like a, like a very open thing that would be inviting to new listeners. Um, I'm not too sure. I do know, like we, we definitely have some, some, some listeners who are, who are pretty adamant about liking the show and who, well, the term shame list has not been a new thing. I, I do I do kind of like how it's becoming, at least in the you know, circles of people who listen to my show, it's become more of a term that people have been far more comfortable in using. Sure. And like sure. I'm and my biggest thing is I just I just like taking the shame away from movie watching. It's not even just like things you haven't seen. Some admitting movie that you like a movie that's not very good. Like I've always hated the term so bad it's good. Just if you like something, yeah. just fucking admit to oh, it. That shit's frustrating. So, just like guilty pleasures. It's like fuck all that, man. Like what you like. Yeah. So and like then be I, the I don't badass that you are. Exactly. And like I don't know if it's necessarily like changed people's perspectives, but I do think you know. For example, when we did our episode on Rocky, yeah, you know, I can listen to a bunch of different podcasts of people talking about Rocky who love it. But I think always going into any episode of one person where this is their first time seeing something just kind of adds new perspective to it. And it's yeah. it's it's usually like one of us usually will pick a movie that one of us has seen the other person hasn't. But then you do have those episodes where like you like we just did a last picture show and neither of us had seen it. Mm. Like we gone this long, and my co-host fucking hated it. So that became an interesting conversation. <laughs> I mean, I I'll say this is one of the reasons why we have guests. I mean, I I think to some extent, you know, we sometimes want to have guests because we hope that they are, you know, more popular than we are. That gets people to listen to the show. <laughs> but more often, it's because they get bring in something that me and Josh don't have, and, and it's actually somewhat off-putting to people when we'll say to people like, "Hey." You decide what we're going to talk about because we want to talk about what you want to talk about. And I think sometimes people think, well, what if I pick something and you don't know it or you don't like it? And I'm like, yeah, that's what's fun. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, that's, that's like the best part. Yeah. Yeah. The number of times that we've been exposed to things that we would have never fucking watched on our own, you know, that 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 because someone else brought it to us is like it's been really helpful and it's really diversified the content of this show, you know, and honestly, like it's it's my big frustration, I think, that we would shame anyone for i mean don't be wrong it's one thing if you have a friend who's an actual poser like they walk around like <laughs> king of the world and they know everything and then they're bullshitting you that's different when a normal person just admits they don't know something that you know why would that be a shameful thing like and yeah. and, and especially for me and mike i don't know if this is your experience but i know this is me and josh part of our film fandom was nurtured on cable and at the video store right yep. mm -hmm. and so like yeah, I'm more familiar with Golden Child or I'm more familiar with Kickboxer than I am with, you know, uh, let's a great example that you brought up, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, they just weren't showing Apocalypse Now on USA every day. Like, that's just <laughs> not how it is, man. Like, sorry that that's like part of my and, and I get like at some point you decide to find the thing that everyone tells you you should find. But there needs to be some appreciation of like you're also gravitating as a 
12-year-old or a 15-year-old to what looks cool on the VHS or DVD shelf, depending on your age, you know? Exactly. Yeah, like and the if, cover for the Bleeders VHS box. Yes. Like that shit is dope. And you there's something I mean? like, just so pure about, like, because I feel like, you know, like, I, I'm really active on Letterboxd, and you you find, I feel like, you'll see, you'll, I'll read, like, one-star reviews of The Godfather on Letterboxd, and there's people who went in wanting to hate shit, and yeah. they just, like, yeah. pride themselves in hating things. Like, it takes a lot right. for me to legitimately just dislike a movie. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty lenient critic, because I also know what goes into making them. They're, it's really tough. Um... But there's something so pure about when you go into a movie that not like and like thinking, oh, I don't know if this is something something I'm going to like. And then it kind of blows you away. Like I went into The Godfather thinking I was going to be bored. And I like I, it's not like a revelation or anything. But like I was like, holy shit, I like that way more than I thought. Or actually better example, Apocalypse Now, a movie I had literally no interest in because I'm not a huge fan of war movies. And I, I was fucking blown away by that movie. So it's like there's I think there's something so pure about. Like when you discover these films and be like, oh, this is why this is a fucking classic. See, the funny thing is I work with, uh, I, as everybody knows, I have a new gig that I've only been at for a little bit. But I work with a millennial who's 23 years old. And this person doesn't like watch movies, but is open to it, right? And That's when so they haven't seen a movie, my my heart automatically goes to like, yo, you are going to have the best time right now. Like you haven't seen the princess bride. Like, can you remember the first time you saw that goddamn movie? Like that yes. person gets to go through that. Why would you shame someone for that? You know what I mean? Why would you be like, yeah, if anything, whatever, I'm, if anything, I'm jealous that yeah, they get to experience something like that for the first time. It's like, crazy. What I try my, try to have my show be is I will like, cause like when I was also, once again, when I was in film school, there was just so much negativity and people just found reasons to hate. If it wasn't like, you know, a, it wasn't, if it was, wasn't fucking made by Jean-Luc Godard, people didn't like it. Like there's there's that air of pretension yeah. when it came to being in film school, and it just became exhausting. And I realized one, I want to be positive about things. Like we have a rule on the show where even when you don't like something, you have to find at least three things that you found at least watchable about the movie. Because I'm also a firm believer that if there's if there's one good scene, it's not a waste of my time. But mm-hmm. then I just try to be a sherpa up the mountain of movies for people and introduce <laughs> people to shit. Yeah. That's the best part, the sharing of the joy. Like, that's why you love things. And why wouldn't you want other people to love those things? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't I, know. That shit, that pretense is so frustrating to me. That's why we quit the film society here. Like, famously, have you heard the Amour story when me and Liam saw Amour? No. Uh, don't tell this story again. We've told this story on the show like 10 times. Basically, somebody at the screening of Amour, when like we saw it, they were just like, oh, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, you know. It's no Dumb and Dumber, but it's pretty cool. And then the person's like, I've never heard of this Dumb and Dumber of which you speak. Like, motherfucker, what did you just say oh, to me? You that know, sounds like my Trio Life story. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle it. Give me the Trio Life story, Mike. My, my, it, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the cliff notes. My Trio Life story is when I, I saw Trio Life, I saw it in a theater, and I left that film being like, well, what the fuck was this? <laughs> like, what was this movie about? I don't get it. Uh, and a friend of mine who was part of like the film society in Wisconsin was was talking about uh, how much he liked it, and I just chimed in, not not being hateful or anything. It's like you know, I was like, I truly didn't get it. It's like here's a couple elements I enjoyed about it, like Brad Pitt's performance or whatnot. But it's like, but I just didn't get this movie, uh, and I didn't think it was very good. And like someone like chimed in and be like, well, then you clearly don't know cinema. I'm like, okay, Captain Ooh. Goofy. Cold hard yo, yo, don't get me wrong. I and I'm bringing this up specifically because I know he 
still listens to the show and will hear this diss, I will diss someone's taste to their face. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll yeah, Mr. Yeah. I'll Mr. Justin Harlan. But the the <laughs> thing the thing about this is like when when Justin Harlan gets on Letterbox and is like, I think Halloween is one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen in my life, and then I diss him to his face. It's not about actually this elitist idea that people seem to have that like if our opinions differ, then one of us is more educated than the other or one of us yeah. is more refined. Yo, Justin, I just think you're a doofus and we disagree. <laughs> but like there's no objective tr- like I, and I get that 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 for for certain people art has to have some amount of objective truth maybe based around skill or execution or whatever it is that's fine i don't want to get it too in the weeds on that but when it really comes to people's opinions there are opinions that i find compelling and there are opinions that i don't find compelling and if i think your opinion isn't compelling i'll tell you straight up but it's still an opinion and the idea that like i'm closer to truth because of who i am or my experiences or my education or something it's so fucking weird to me it's like look i hate uh 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 gabber music but somebody loves it and that you know what i mean like uh-huh. as much as i think everyone who listens to gabber is a f- fucking crazy person that it's still what they love like you know like yeah, th- there has doesn't to make that love any less valid it's yeah, just not th- for you there has to be some way of admitting that you find something off-putting and awful and then admitting that other people are going to love that thing and that's just the difference between us and like me and josh will argue about shit all day long but the reality is like if he, for example, thinks all the Fast and Furious movies are good instead of just three of them, that doesn't make him like a bad person. Like I just don't understand that value <laughs> attached to it. I I will argue. I will argue uh, movie opinions like we're arguing about the nature of the universe, and that's fun. But yeah, when it becomes about like who someone is or what their value is as a person. I, I never get that shit, man. Yeah. And it drives me crazy. It's different in things like music. Like you can't listen to screwdriver and be like, Oh no, 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 no. I only like the non-racist songs. Like, yo dog, that shit's fucking weird. <clears throat> you all right, bud? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I had a little, anyway, we're good. Don't worry about that. But <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? Like if somebody like tells me that they listen to something like, like really horrible, like Raho or like some shit like that, there's no way I'm going to be able to excuse that. And that's a piece of art. Like we're in, you know, the appreciation is part of the reflection. Right. But then something like a movie thing where it's just like, oh yeah, no, I like movies about this. And well, like, well, clearly you're dumb. I do like, think no. that I do think the political angle, we need to start the episode here, but I right. do think the political angle is something a little bit different in that. If someone says to me, well, screwdriver is a bad example because I think everyone who's like, "Well, they're actually good; they're just racist," are stupid. Like the music isn't even good. But when someone <laughs> says to me, "There's something that they think is aesthetically appealing, but they find it politically distasteful," I think that makes sense, and that that's a fine reason for disliking something. What I don't get is when someone's like, "I find this aesthetically off-putting," and someone else is like, "That's because you're a bad person." It's like, wait a minute, we all have different things that we. I, I think liking something that hurts people which is literally what screwdriver is, is like, that's different. It actually hurts people. But when someone's like, well, I really appreciate, I don't know, the music of counting crows. I don't understand that personally, but like they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't, you know, I, don't, I, I just don't understand the moral component, let alone the, the elitist the component. Judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Like where it's like, yo man, like, look, I'm sure there are, uh, there, it, it, we all know, like, uh, I'll take an example, Mike, 
you know, with your tree of life thing, uh, you know, uh, Terrence Malick, director of tree of life is well known to be the biggest Zoolander fan in the world has literally said comedy was perfected <laughs> in the movie Zoolander and like, doesn't like to watch other comedies. That's like, that's, that's not like a rumor. That's out of the horse's mouth of a friend who was his like PA on a film set where he was talking <laughs> about that. So like, yo, at one point he was considering writing a movie for Ben Stiller because he loved Ben Stiller and Zoolander so much so like yo fuck off you know what i mean like <laughs> jesus christ you know i can't handle someone taking the man's art more seriously than he's willing to take it himself so there you go okay uh hey before we start the episode well first let's say mike thank you so much you brought to us this action sliced alone double feature and when you suggested it i was stoked on it but like, I didn't know how much I needed this direct comparison. Mike, what were the two movies you brought to us to talk about today? So, to, today, well, because my my like my goal with this was I wanted to to touch on blind spots for me, and I think I was talking to you like action films in a in a lot of tenses are kind of blind spots for me because when I was a kid, I just didn't think I was going to like them very much. Um, I don't know why. Just that was just what I told my told myself. I think it's because my dad watched like any shitty Steven Seagal film, and <laughs> sure, I, yeah. I feel like I had seen more clips from bad Steven Seagal films than I'd seen from a good Steven Seagal film. And like, so I just kind of like put off some of these action stars. Like I, Jean Claude Van Damme is a bit of a blind spot. Like I knew I knew Stallone from his Rocky films, and I everyone like knows Schwarzenegger. But I was like, okay. I want to use this as an excuse to find something that I've not seen. And since I'm also a, a big fan of getting something for a deal. So like Black Friday, I found First Blood on 4K for like 10 bucks and I've been sitting on it. And so when when we were talk, talking, because I didn't also know that you had the guest choose the, the, the topic. So we were trying to figure out what to talk about. So I was like, well, I got this copy of First Blood. So I want to talk about that. And then... Uh, when we were trying to figure out uh, uh, what else to watch, you gave me a couple choices, and we both kind of had the same thought. So I was like, okay, well, I want to watch First Blood because it's one I've never, I've never seen a single Rambo film, so I feel like I need to start here. And then we both just it kinda, almost like the like we had an epiphany that like it just seemed like the best way to go was you know you got a St Stallone at kind of his beginnings of action films, and then you have him when I personally believe he's per he's peaked with Cobra. <laughs> I love this because we're, we'll get to it, but um, I feel like it's, I don't want to say the exact opposite, but what I want to say is I, will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel, I feel like uh, what we have with first, we're, we'll get into it more in the episode, but my prelim is this. We have first blood to blame for Cobra. It's because he did First Blood that we we end up with Cobra, but these movies could not be further apart. And I love Cobra for all the reasons that I should hate it, really. And I yep. love First mm -hmm. Blood for all the ways that it's nothing like, not only is it nothing like Cobra, it's, it's nothing, nothing like, like any, any other Rambo movie. Film. No, it's, it's nothing it's, like any other action film at the it's time. It's interesting. Like, I gave, I'm, I'm going to bury the weed a little bit. I, on Flutterbox, I gave both movies. Four and a half stars, but for completely different. Oh races. yeah, one hundred percent. I I still feel that way. Like like it's it's literally like uh, it would be like if uh, the the way I would compare it is like your favorite death metal band who wrote the sickest, heaviest, like most brutal record, 
also wrote your favorite glam metal record a few years later, you know, and it's like so glammy and cheesy and just stupid, like just a clear effort to make money. That's what this is like. It's like first blood is this fucking gem that like shouldn't exist. And it's so weird. And like it, it, you know, I'm one of those people who saw other Rambo movies before I saw first blood. So the first time I saw first blood, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because it's so not a Rambo movie compared to the other movies. And then when I saw Cobra, I was going in for what I get from Cobra and it made me totally happy. But comparing the two, I'm like, oh shit, I love both these movies for the complete opposite well, reasons. Here's how I'll describe it. Um, First Blood is the Rocky of action films. Yes. While Cobra <laughs> is the Rocky four of action films. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. All right. We'll get, we're going to get more into that. But, anyways, I just wanted to set the audience up. Before we do all that, Josh, we have to thank some people. Who should we be thanking right now? We firstly should thank the people who have supported us on Patreon and continue to do so. And we really appreciate people listening and just like chiming in, but also like taking their time and their, their resources to help us along. So thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers. I recently had someone ask, we bring it up all the time. If you were one of our Patreon subscribers and you were wondering, can I get a shirt? Because they always mention shirts. Yes, you can get a shirt. Just give me your address and your size and I will send you a shirt. Thank you to the person. I'm sorry. I already forgot who it was, but some, oh, I think it was Josh uh, who who hit me up and was like, you, you guys always mention shirts. Can I get a shirt? Yes, you can. I will send any one of you who supports us on Patreon a shirt if you give me your size and your address. So, yo, hit me up. Let me know. I have some new shirts coming in. I will send you a Cinepunk shirt. Don't forget, okay? We also want to thank, speaking of shirts, our friends at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. All the shirts that I'm sending out to our Patreon people and to people who buy them. We actually sold some shirts, which we haven't done for a while on the site. Um, <laughs> what is going on? I know. It's crazy. Uh, all of that's because of Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are a go-to screen printer. They should be your go-to screen printer. They are, in my mind, the perfect combination of personal and professional that you could ask for in a business. Agreed. We also have to thank our friends at Essex Coffee Roasters. Our friend Aaron Dahlbeck is a gem of a person, and Essex Coffee Ro Roasters aims to take the pretense out of good coffee. So, you know, if you guys like good coffee, go to Essex Coffee Roasters, or if you like tea, or if you like sweet t-shirts and or sweatshirts, apparel, you know what I'm saying? Essex Coffee Roasters, and then at the end, when you're about to check out, if you put Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, in at the discount apply thing, the, the little, little coupon, John. <laughs> so wait, Mike, you write all this shit out before you do it for your shows? Yes. You don't just write that shit up on the fly like we do every single time, 157 I, I, times. I write it out so much to the extent every episode I begin my show the same way with hello and welcome to, I write that out. Just wow. in case I forget it. This is how Doug Tilly does it, too. You know this, Josh. Yeah, there are well, people you know, who do it this way. Also, I'm going to have to sign up for your Patreon so I can get a T-shirt and support Boom. you guys. Well, we'll I'm not, not going to lie. You'll just get a shirt. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. So, yeah, that's another thing for Patreon people, huh? You guys want to come on the show? We'll just give you a shirt. How about your boys? Uh, also, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you put Cinepunks in a checkout for uh, Essex Coffee Roasters, you get 10% off. And uh, you tell Aaron that you listen to us and that we're cool, so then you help us, like, also, thank you, and we love you, Liam. What do we do right now? It's a thing that we've done 146 times before now. Uh, it's it's yeah. a segment, Liam. 
Yeah, we it, don't have a lot of segments. We really only have this one segment. We only have one segment, and yet 146 times we can never remember its name. Uh, Mike, s- s- perhaps you know, since you've listened to our show maybe once or twice. It's okay. It's okay. Didn't, we don't. Didn't you, we don't just call, didn't you just call it whacking on track? No, we were gonna oh. cut it so this weren't well, that wasn't there. <laughs> but yes, it is called whacking on track. Whacking on track. <laughs> whacking on track. You're supposed to say it with us. It's good. That was oh, great. Mike, that's staying in. That's Mike, good. That's cool. good. Mike, Mike totally killed our kayfabe right now. <laughs> I still that's love fun. it though. It's so much cooler than what we it's would just, normally do. Yeah, <laughs> but no, just I draw it out for a little that's bit. True, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, Mike, uh, as our guest, would you like to go first, second, or third? I'll go and second. Okay. I'm just picking. Liam. I like that. Yes. Your choice. Uh I'll go I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'll go right now. Ready? Do it. I haven't seen a lot, y'all, because I, I haven't gone back to theaters and I've been watching a lot of stuff for uh podcasts. However, I did manage to catch the new Scream film. Mm, so called Scream. I don't know if you know this, but they just used the name again. They didn't have another mm. idea, so it's just called Scream. Which Actually, is a, I which believe is a sequel the correct, to a movie called Scream. The yeah. correct pronunciation is Scrim. Oh, but go true. on. <laughs> I thought it was actually called uh, uh, Two Scrub to Scrub. Is that a? <laughs> I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, here's here's a deal. The the John started out. And it's a reminder of why people love these movies and why I don't necessarily love these movies. It's immediately so painfully self-aware, meta, just total commentary on itself. And at first I was like, yo, fuck this shit. Like in the first like 15, 20 minutes, I was like, I want to finish this because I want to talk about it on the podcast. But goddamn, I am so not into this fucking movie. Uh, I'm so goddamn bummed on it. But here's the thing. At some point, I found it hard to turn off. And I had to admit that to myself. I had something else I needed to do. And I could easily have come back to the movie. And instead, I was like, ah, let me just finish. Let me just finish this next part. And then I'll turn it <laughs> off. And then I didn't. So, like, I'm kind of of two minds about it. I still think, essentially, it's not great. I think it's a little... I get... It, it, you can't say a screen film is too self-aware. That's the whole fucking gimmick. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's like being like, oh, this Neurosis album is too heavy. You're a fan of the Scram franchise, correct? Like, no, like- I'm a hater, top to bottom oh, hater. Wow, top to bottom hater. Oh, and 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 it's it's a real tur- it's a real heel turn to to continue with wrestling things. Uh, uh, I appreciate it's, it. It's a real heel turn because I saw all four of the previous screams in the theater. On like, well, not opening night, but I saw them with great excitement. Uh, it was only some years ago, friend of the show and Cinepunks writer, uh, uh, Nick was like, Ayo, let's Nick do Spacek. Spacek was like, Ayo, let's do a column where we revisit the screen films. We'll do a movie each week of October as part of Cineween. And I was like, this is a great idea. So I returned to the first scream and I thought, it's okay. It's a little, it's a little, uh, it's a little, uh, yeah. And it's a little cloying and it's a little shrill. And I found it a little frustrating, but I'm sure I'm going to get used to the vibe. And then it got worse with each movie and I was less stoked. Although th- there are parts of two I actually like better than one, but I wasn't sold on the idea. And I kind of finished the franchise being like, oh, I don't love these movies actually. And I really thought I did. I thought I was a Scream fan and I'm really like not that excited on them. 
But so many people were like, this new one is so good. It takes it to another place, blah, 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 blah. And I, I don't think it does that, actually. No, no. I, I saw it. And um, and honestly, this would, in other times, I'd probably just say that's my review. But, like, it's it's fine. It's it's a fine move movie. And, and my biggest thing is I just feel like the film is trying way too hard to keep itself relevant. Um, and it's constantly trying to reinvent the wheel, but ends up doing the same exact thing. It honestly feels like the people who wrote this film, um, chose like, oh, what's, I'm not going to go back and rewatch what came before. And then they ended up just recycling all of the same themes from the previous films, which they probably wouldn't have done if they would have rewatched them. Um, but it was fine. Like there's some great, like, oh geez moments like that. I, that, and it was a, as you said, it's granted I watched in a theater, but like, it was, it's a hard movie to turn off in that way where it's like, it was a, it was a fine, fun time watching it, but I just didn't really like it. Like a lot of the themes they tackled already and they did it better in, in like every theme in this movie they're trying to get through. They did in scream four. And I think they did better. Um, and I, honestly, I just, I never got a chance to connect with the, the new cast. And a part of that is because these, the damn legacy characters overshadowed them. I do yeah. think, it's fine. I, I do think the relationship between the legacy characters and the new characters was a little whack because it felt a little bit like, oh, these fucking Gen Z kids. <laughs> and that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But I don't know. It You know, it's not it's not terrible. Um, and like I said, I, I did find it a little hard to turn off. Like, I, I kind of wanted to know what's going to happen. But when it ended, I wasn't like, oh, that was completely satisfying. It, I just was like, it's OK. It's fine. But I just. Uh, I just had trouble connecting with it, which again, I'm apparently not the audience because I am a turncoat on the whole fucking, you know, franchise. franchise. But like, you know, I, I thought, I thought maybe this would turn me around and whatever, but no, I wasn't into it. Um, movie wise, so that's, that's whack. about it. Yeah. <laughs> movie wise, that's about it for me. I will say, um, I've been watching, there's a new show on Amazon called uh, The Legend of Vox Machina. That is a uh, cartoon dramatization of a real play D&D podcast. And uh, I love it. It's really fucking funny. It kills me. I think it's really great. So if that doesn't sound too nerdy for our audience, (laughs) which I'm sure for most people it probably is too nerdy. But uh, if you'd like, uh, you know... It's a fantasy adventure where there's lots of, uh, you know, dick jokes and modern references. Uh, and I love that. So, yeah, I'm into it. You know, I, I, I've i really enjoyed it so far. So uh, I definitely recommend that. And then uh, music wise, uh, there's not a lot of new music out that I was stoked on. But I did, Josh, go to a show. Which ah, I haven't done in a long time. So I want to give a quick review of that. I went to the Cobra Lounge to see Scourge, uh, Illusion, Bitter Thoughts, uh, and two other local openers. I don't remember who they were. I'm sorry. Uh, none of them are listening, so I don't feel bad. Uh, you don't uh, know that. Actually, first band was a band from Milwaukee called Enervate. Uh, they were fine. Hmm. Um, I've they, not heard of them. I'm from they, Milwaukee. Yeah, they're new. They're I think they have like a demo out. Uh they they very much Josh, you know when this happens. A band is mad that no one's moshing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm always like, guys, like play a cover. Like just play a yeah, cover. Just do the thing. Yeah. Just yeah, play yeah. a cover. But they they don't No new, one knows you. Yeah. New new bands don't play covers. That's not a thing they do. So 
they didn't play a cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was a band from Austin whose name I forget. They're younger kids. They were okay. I, they need some work. And then Bitter Thoughts is actually members of MH Chaos. They were around a few years ago. They never really broke out of the area, but they're pretty popular in the Chicago slash Gary area. Uh, dude's voice is pretty high pitched for uh, a band that's basically like a beatdown band. Like it's almost oh. like he's not quite as high pitched as Brothers Keeper, but it's like higher pitched vocals with a very chugga band. It was a weird fit for me, but it was good. I They were good. I just, I don't know that I would buy a record, but I'm curious. Like it, I was interested after the set. Uh, then Illusion was great. I really like that. They, they really only have the demo and the EP. I think it's weird. They're touring without any new music, but I love the demo and I love the EP and they were great. And then that band Scourge, like I just stuck around to check them out. I never really listened to them. I really like it. I really fucking like it. They're from Texas. They're really good. They had a really good vibe. They were super entertaining. They were heavy, uh, but it's not like, I don't know. I'm kind of over the more traditional like metalcore stuff. This is a little bit more like metal, but also kind of crossover, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't know. Check it out if you get a chance, if you haven't heard it yet. Scorch. I thought they were really heavy and really good. And that was it. Uh, it's not, Cobra Lounge is a weird room, uh, but I'm glad to have gone to a show again. So, you know, it's also weird being at a show where I don't really know a lot of people and everyone's wearing masks. So I'm like, who are all these people? But it was fine. It was fine. Uh, yeah, that's it for me. Mike, you want to go? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, for me, it's, I've been, lately I've just been watching a lot of, um, uh, movies for the podcast specifically. Uh, me and my wife have been watching a little bit of TV. We've the new cha- uh, season of Disenchantment just popped up, and we've been enjoying the hell out of that. Uh, for movies, like I said, I've been mostly been watching stuff for the podcast. Whether like the last two movies I watched were Cobra and First Blood. I watched uh, Surf Nazis Must Die again for the sure. for the first time in years. I I just got a review copy in for Troma's new disc, uh, and that was kind of fun to to revisit. Another thing I try to do uh, just because like they're you know, as someone who's made films myself, it's so hard to get your shit seen. So whenever there's short films available on any streaming service, I try to watch them. So I'm not too sure if you're familiar with her, but there's a filmmaker by the name of Caroline Monet or Monet. I'm not sure how her name is pronounced. She is a, um, uh, uh, um, Canadian filmmaker that makes a lot of films about uh, the Native Americans of Canada. So I've been watching some of her short films on the Criterion channel just because they're available. Yeah. And I also like seeing them pop up next to movies like The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas because I have movie ADD and have to jump around a lot. Um, but the biggest like things that like I've watched this month that really stood out to me is I had never seen When Harry Met Sally. Oh, sure. And I Me and either, I watched actually. I'd watched it for the first time and I was I was really just taken uh, taken with it because I also like I, I hate when people just hate on a genre arbitrarily. So when people are like, oh, I hate chick flicks, romantic comedies. I fucking love romantic comedies. Get your head out of your ass when they're done. Well, they can be great. And I was just really happy with this one. It's you know, it's schmaltzy, but I didn't even care. And I think a big part of that is because Nora Ephron is just can write dialogue like dialogue like no one's business and Meg Ryan can deliver that dialogue like no one's business. So I, I found myself really enjoying that. Um, I watched a movie called Barb and star go to Vista Del Mar that everyone's been raving about. And I just, yeah. I just thought it was okay. Oh, it I ri- love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. It had Richard cheese in it. So I dug that, but like, wow. I just, I've, I was watching through most of it. And I was like, I just don't find this as funny as I, as I, as I thought I would. 
Uh, but the best movie that I had I'd never heard of that I decided to watch. There's a movie by uh, Nicole Beckwith called Together Together, starring um, oh, Ed sure. Helms and, yeah, and yeah, Patty yeah. Harrison. That was a nice little surprise of, oh, of yeah, a movie the, about the adopt with the kid. Is that the one? Yeah, Wait. she's uh, you know, he 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 his his um, I think he he's going through a divorce, and he wants to be a father oh, right. and yeah. doesn't really have time to start a whole new relationship so he hires a woman to essentially carry his child and what i really found what i really loved about it one i think the ending is absolutely heartbreaking but i'm so happy to see a movie that not only deals with the difficult how difficult it is to be lonely but it also is a refreshing take on platonic friendships because so many movies like this just end with like like, once again, going back to my whole thing about romantic comedies, I love them, but it's nice to see something that's just like, you know, we're friends at the end of this. I don't know. It was a, yeah, I'm into it was a that. nice change in things. Like, you know, like I used to joke with a, a friend of mine who lived with me for a little bit whenever we'd watch movies together. It was like, you know, so often we'd want to see two characters like lean in for a kiss and then just end up shaking hands and be like, let's be friends. That needs to happen more in movies. <laughs> Ow. Um, and so, you know, I haven't, like, I've watched quite a bit, but most of it's stuff that you can hear me talk about long form on one of my shows or, you know, two of the movies on here. Um, for music, since you had, you had mentioned it, I've kind of, so I've been working from home for the last couple months and probably pretty much going to be the foreseeable future. And so I've been kind of retreating back into music. I'm, well... My audio got weird there for a second. Um, I've been retreating back into music quite a bit, and I've always been an avid record collector, but I just started like redoing my, like uh, I guess, my listening space, if I'm going to be very pretentious about it, because I'm a, a sucker for playback, um, like playback quality. So what I've been doing every day on, on my Instagram is I've been trying to keep myself entertained while working from home. Uh, sure. So I've been taking... Uh, pictures every day just within the house just to see if I, how many days i can go with finding something to take a picture of even if it's not interesting and then just it also gives me an excuse to recommend music to people so i've been having a lot of fun with that and it, it's also funny too because like i'm trying to find stuff that i think people might listen to and it's usually completely counterintuitive to what i'm listening to in that moment if that makes right. sense yeah so like the other day um, uh, Sharon Von Etten just released a new song called Porta that I was really into. But that day I was listening to like an electric Frankenstein album had nothing to do with what I was like, but I was like, I thought if I re recommend an electric Frankenstein song, I don't know who's going to listen to it, but some people might check out Sharon Von Etten. Cause like my ultimate goal is I want to turn people onto new shit, but like, I need to like, since I've just started doing this, I need to lull them into trusting me a little bit first and then, <laughs> you know, and then I can bring out some some weirder stuff. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. You know, so like uh, like some of the songs that I've I've recommend over the last couple of days, like uh, um, today I did a, a song called "Loser" by a guy named I Love. M I think his name is I Love Maconan. Um, or I've done a, a Brenton Wood. Yeah, that was my song yesterday. Give me a little sign, but Brenton Wood. So like I'm trying to keep it all over the place. Or um, uh, another, I did like a Lana Del Rey song. But that way, you know, I can I can kind of wall people in and then I can bring out some weirder stuff and, you know, bring them along for the ride. I love that. I love it. Love it. It's good. It's Josh. Show, man. Well, how about you, babe? What's up? Um, On track. I put out a single by my new band, Hard Turf. 
and um, it's called Streets at Night. And we tried to go mysterious with it, so we didn't put our picture on any of it. And uh, I'm really proud of it. Where can I find it? It is available on all streaming platforms. But the whack business of this is that the streaming service that I went through, TuneCore, had some type of glitch and pulled it down from everything. So it's not even up now. So then there's been all this like email back and forth and being like, oh, we're sorry we accidentally took your song down. It's like, all right, I guess that's cool for y'all. When's it going to be up again? And it's not up. I don't know. So there's a lot of email repartee, which I am not a fan of. But it was on Spotify. You know, I think it's cool. I think we're good. Should have just put it on Bandcamp, my man. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I'll get there. It's just, uh, you you ever do a band with a bunch of old dudes? (laughs) They're all like, oh, no, man, we got to do it like we did it before, where we'll get a label to put it out if we give them enough weed in 40s. It's like. Yo, dudes, like, so the thing is with this band is that it's a bunch of old dudes and they've been in a bunch of, you know, bands from back in the day. And it's like they've not put out music since then. So it's kind of like one of those moments where like, wait, what do we have to do? And I have to be like, don't worry, fellas, I got it. But as Liam can tell you, Joey don't got it because Joey's not good with computers. So no, you don't got shit. Yeah, yeah, but I did get the thing together, and I actually yeah, managed to yeah, do the cover work yeah. and put it up on Spotify and on iTunes and all the other bullshit. If, if you ever put it out on a physical release, let me know. You'll be the first to receive a copy. I don't even <laughs> care. It could be cassette, I'll give you man. the test G- press. Give yeah, me the yeah. cassette, and I'll be happy with it. <laughs> I love the cassettes are coming back. I love for 10 bucks. I can go find yeah. some like weird punk band and some dive bar. Like, oh, yeah, I'll take your poorly recorded cassette. Hell, yeah. <laughs> So so that was whack and on track, the release of the new Hard Turf single. Um, oh, there's been a lot of good music this week, guys. Are you aware? Do I don't know. know. What's up? What's up? Motherfucking Swami John Reese put out a solo record that came out today called Ride the Wild Night. And uh, anybody who knows me knows I love Rocket from the Crypt and I love Drive Like Jehu and I love the Night Marches and I love Plosives. And they put out a new song, too. And that shit is amazing. If you like any of those Swami San Diego kind of bands, this is your shit. It's 100% right up your alley. Fucking amazing. Um, I've been rocking a record called Never Stop Texting Me. Do you know about... It's two people. It came out earlier this month. It's Clara Rousey and Maurice. It's like a weird electronic... I can't even, it's like kind of glitchy, but there's like vocals to it. It's pretty weird. It's very off-putting, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, I also found a genre of music called comfort synth. Are you guys aware about this? No, kind of music? but it sounds no right idea. up my alley. There is a band called Tiny Mouse. Tiny Mouse, available on Spotify <laughs> and all that other stuff. And the record that I've been listening to is called The Happiest Mouse Alive. And it sounds like if you are in a British cartoon from the 70s okay it's fucking amazing i've been listening i was i got really stoned the other day i'm not gonna lie to you and um there was a moment when i was listening to it and it was giving me like nightmares but i also was like i can't stop listening because i can't move my hands like it was awesome you know it was, it's super good and it's just really like weirdly like peppy but also just a little bit off just a like little that. bit of nightmare like in there that. i don't really understand it I also have been getting into a record by, I don't know anything about this person. Their name is T. Jerius, T space G E R I U S. And the record is called Slow Dance on Moss Beds. 
And it is very much a weird tape loop slash ambient record that just kind of has this weird dripping melancholy feel to it. But also it kind of blossoms into something that's not sad. I don't really know how to put that into words, but it is super wonderful. I really, really, really love it. I, and I also my... It. No, continue, please. No, I was going to oh, say, no. I just love the way you, you guys talk about music. Like, cause like, okay. I, I know it's one of those things. Like I know so many people who everyone likes music. I don't care the fuck who you are. Everyone likes music, but like, just you talk to some people and like, they, they like, they've convinced themselves there's nothing new out there and they've stopped, stopped trying to discover stuff. Oof. Like I love when I can not only discover something different that I've never heard of either old or new, but when it's in a genre I've, I, I, that I don't normally like vibe with. Like, I discovered a country musician recently that I've been super into, and that's refreshing because that's not normally my genre. So I just love yeah, when yeah. shit kind of clicks together. And you're just like, whoa. Like, the first time you, like, William Elliot Whitmore, his newest record is amazing. I fucking Oh, love I haven't that heard record. the new one. Oh, my sweet baby Jesus. It's great. He has a song about MK Ultra on there. It's awesome. Um, the other record that I've been really hyped on is called Daughter by a band called Rom, R A U M. Do you guys know about this band? No. No. It is an ambient record that is a collaboration between Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma and Grouper. And it is unbelievable. It is so lovely. I love it so, so, so much. And the Chubby and the Gang EP. What do you think about that, Liam? Are you into it? The new one? I have I, I only listened to it once. I liked it. I need to give I it. I liked more it too, time. but everybody hates it. And I'm like, am I missing something? Like why do they hate it? everybody's like i don't know it's just not for me i like the other one way better etc etc i'm like i don't know man i fucking am down for everything that chubby's given like it is super great i don't know that's just me oh and also donnie benet totally rules adult music it's great i don't know if you guys know who donnie benet is if no. you like sweater funk if you like heavy bass lines that are insane and dancey songs that are i do maybe funny maybe not Yo, Josh always has the craziest shit. The only thing I'll say that I don't think I got a chance to mention that is music and I I haven't thought about it was, uh, did I ever mention on the show, Josh, the new low record? Oh my God. It's so weird. It's so good. I fucking love love it. But it it. is bizarre as fuck, especially if you're a longtime low fan. Holy Moses. What the fuck happened? I know. I saw low. I saw low with Pedro the lion in. 2001 2000 maybe even and this is a different low you know what i mean like yeah it's it's the band is so yeah i mean it's so much like it's it goes from like you know okay computer to kid a like that's the transition i see and it's wild yeah i love it i love it it's really really good honestly there has been new music i i was like oh there's not really new music there actually been new music that i should be checking out but uh i I finally started making a playlist on Spotify just for Maeve, just music that Maeve likes. And so I've actually been working on that, trying to find stuff to put on it because like, I can't just put anything on it. Like I have to find stuff and then play it for her and then see if she likes it and see if it gets on there. And it's the weirdest mix of shit right now. And I kind of love that, (laughs) but I want to try to make it more diverse. So I'm trying to find new things to play for her. So I haven't really checked out as much new music as I could. Hmm. Also, the new, I mean, I know it's been out for a while, but that newest Sleaford Mods, me and Melani have tickets to see the Sleaford Mods when they come to Philadelphia, and I cannot be more pumped. No, thank and you. That, that is not oh, for me. My sweet I cannot baby get, Jesus. I cannot I get into it. it. 
so fucking much. Dude, spare ribs. Do you get down with that band, Mike? Do you know them? I don't know them, no. Oh, man. Do you want to have a British guy yell at you while someone no, plays on the computer? No, you don't. You do not. Yeah, you do. You do yeah, you do. It's that good. Here, I'll uh, tell you what. Just start sending me some shit. I'll listen to anything you say. Oh, that yeah. You 100% will. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't like something, I just, you know, I'll tell you. I don't know. The, 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 I got really excited because, like, uh, so I mentioned, like, the, except there's a country musician that I, I got really into. And he's, he's it's funny. I, I saw him, like, last year back when, you know, when things started getting a little bit better. And I, and I got to see. And I got to see, I got tickets for like 25 bucks. And it's like, okay, this guy is starting to get big. So I might as well get tickets while I can. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Orville Peck. He's a country musician. Oh, God, he's love amazing. It. That I fucking love him. I fucking love that dude. I saw him for 25 bucks. And then, like, the day after I bought the tickets, like, he was on, like, a show with Miley Cyrus, which I don't care what anyone says. Her new album's fucking killer. Um,. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, oh man, he's doing shit with Miley Cyrus. No, he ain't going to be 25 bucks next time I see him. And you it's have, like, to, have you listened to his Unrighteous Brothers project? Oh my God. Yes, I have. It's so ridiculous. It is so next level. And his duet with Trixie. Because I don't oh, know yeah, if you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. my wife and I are big fans of the art of drag. And Trixie uh, Tri- Trixie's got a bar here in favorite. Wisconsin. Ah, the, the what's the name of the bar again? I don't remember the name of it, but I know it's here. This is it. It's called. Yeah. In Milwaukee. That's it. Yeah. That's the yeah, one. Yeah. My wife is here. So she just told me because she's smart. <laughs> yeah. So, like, All right. and, and he, he just put out a new, like, uh, short little thing. And it, and it's, that's been, I've been listening yeah. to it quite a bit. It's so good. I'm Love hoping it. that there's going to be more. I can't wait. And then, it's like, so I think, good, I think though. the only other thing, like, new thing I bought, like, um, I bought, um, 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 the single for, uh, uh, Billie Eilish's No Time to Die because I love that track. And then Karen Olsen covering a Karen Dalton song. I bought a little seven inch of it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's- it's cool because on one end, one side has uh, 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 Angel Olsen covering the Karen Dalton song. And then the flip side, they have the Karen Dalton original. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I do love Angel Olsen. All right, y'all. We, uh, we're going to, we're going to take a break. A break. And but after then the we're break, gonna come back with some '80s. Well, the, you know, let's say Stallone action. But we're definitely covering here. I think two of the two of the 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 highs of Stallone's career for very different reasons. <laughs> I think you should call the section "When You're Stallone Now." Oh, I like that. Whoa, I like that. That's good. All right. After the break, we'll see you in a bit.
And we're back, and we're talking to our friend Michael Viers, and we're going to be talking about two Stallone movies. Dude, this was so much fun to watch these movies. Yes. I am psyched to talk about this shit with you. Let's, Can I let's, just say? Yeah, me too, Mike. I'm, I'm so glad you chose this, Like, and, and like... I've seen First Blood, I've seen Cobra, but it, it I haven't really thought about them before. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I've seen same. them, but I just hadn't put any thought into it. And now I'm like kind of excited at this comparison. Yeah, because it's 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 crazy to also think that they're only just a couple years removed from each other. Oh my God, mm. that's insane. Like, <laughs> First Blood was 82. And one, he still looks like a fucking baby in this movie. Yes. Uh, he looks completely different in Cobra, but Cobra is 86. That's not much time in between these, and they are drastically different. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's start here. You gave us a little bit of, like, your history with this. Josh, do you have a history with First Blood or with Rambo in general? Do you have any sort of relationship with this uh, franchise? Uh, We've talked about Rocky before, but I don't think we've ever really talked about Rambo or specifically First Blood. Well, here's here's something that I'm not so sure that you know about me, Liam. I typically, despite enjoying things like horror movies, I have a horrible time dealing with images of people getting like hurt. I didn't know that. Yeah, like people getting blown asunder. Um, things like flesh wounds. I don't I no, Joey does not appreciate such things. Um, that said, Rambo 2 was in a heavy rotation. Um, I forgot what Rambo 2 was called, but I know that I saw it 10,000 times because it was the one that when my parents got HBO, we're watching the second part of Rambo all the time. And the funny thing is I'd never seen the first Rambo until after, right? So then when I went back to to First Blood, I was just like, holy shit, like this this is like actually like way smarter than just a guy going in and killing a bunch of Asian bulls. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's <laughs> just like what I thought Rambo was. It was like, okay, yeah, we go out, we kill people in the jungle that look like me, and then you know, he, he the girl dies. I don't know. It was weird. It was, but you know, and the, and the, also in Rambo T, there's a, a scene where he's wounded, and then he melds his wound with gunpowder that he then sets on fire, and it made me so upset that it gave me nightmares for like ages six through twenty. Yeah, it's fucked. But um, that said. First Blood, I'd seen like maybe a handful of times. I think I might have seen it at like some genre thing. And I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty good. But I didn't actually sit down to think about it as I was watching it until just yesterday when I watched the movie. So uh, this is interesting because I was for a long time familiar with Rambo as a cultural icon, you know, as a as a as almost like a sight gag before I ever watched any of the Rambo movies. I was aware of Rambo. I was the, I was the same way. Like I knew of the character of Rambo, yeah. but I was far more familiar with Weird Al playing Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> Weird Al or uh what's it there one was of the, the hot shot too. Well, which one is, of the, one of the hot shot movies doesn't yeah, he dress like Rambo? Which is the reason why I had no interest in this franchise right. for the longest same. time. And and like granted I I only one I've ever seen still is First Blood. I'm I do want to see the rest of them just so I can say I've seen them, but like I just figured they were all going to be that you know the the cobra of of of, of war films mm-hmm. um <laughs> well and so for me what happened was i finally saw first blood 
And people had told me before that that First Blood was different. And I had seen elements of the other Rambos on cable in other places. Uh, I think I only sat down to watch two, the same as you, Josh, and then the other ones I had seen pits of. And I watched all of the it's not a reboot, but you know what I mean? That later sequel with old mm. Stallone. I yeah, watched yeah, yeah. all of that and was the ones like, that felt like Lucio Fulci movies rolled yeah, into Rambo world. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it's fine, but I was like, man. And so I, I think I even watched that before I watched first blood, finally watched first blood really liked it, but I didn't give it much thought. And you know what brought me back to think about it? And I think Josh, you might've been at this. We screened that movie of the guy who did his own first blood that was just oh, him yeah. was playing amazing. all the parts. Did you have you heard about this movie, Mike? No. There's a movie. The guy his remaking First Blood, but more than that, he's remaking the book that First Blood is based on. Oh, interesting. And he films the entire thing and it's just him. It's him in his apartment in various parts of his apartment made to look like sets and it's him <laughs> interacting with just himself. And he, he, it's just him. He he filmed the whole thing. It's like a Sadie Benning movie. Jesus. It, it took a decade in his apartment for him to remake the, the movie First Blood based more off the book than the movie is. And we watched that. Doug, of course, Doug Tilly, of all people, programmed that for a Cinepunk screening on Twitch. <laughs> and uh, I rewatched that and thought, oh, yeah, First Blood is great. Like, I forgot actually how good it was. And I, I put it on my list of like, I need to go back and, and like really appreciate first blood. And then you picked it for this show. And I was like, Oh, fucking finally. Yeah. Cause I put it off and I got to tell you guys, I, I, I know this is just because the copy I watched is like a newer thing. Cause the last time I watched it was like a DVD. I don't know even which DVD it was, but I watched like whatever the <laughs> latest Blu-ray version of this thing is. Mm. Um, First Blood's a fucking beautiful film. It yes, is, it is, right? Yes, it is. It gorgeous. Is. Holy shit. That was definitely oh, that something. Wide that wide anamorphic like, cinematography. Oh, Fuck. Sweet baby Jesus. It's gorgeous. It I really feel like it might beautiful. look, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it might look better than any other Stallone movie I can think of. Like, just look better. Um, the only other one, maybe, like, granted, I've not seen all of Stallone's films, admittedly. The only other one, maybe, I and I would put. At least on par with it mm-hmm. would be the first Rocky, but that just comes down completely to uh, aesthetic choices that, as a filmmaker, I, I would go with I, as well. I love the first Rocky. I just think that maybe this is me disrespecting the first Rocky because I've, as Josh knows, like Josh lives very close to the neighborhood where they filmed that thing, you know? Uh, I've I've spent a lot of time in that area of Philadelphia. It definitely captures the spirit of. Well, not South Philly, where it probably should be set, but of Fishtown. Like, it very much is a Fishtown movie in a lot of ways. There's just something about, maybe this is just me uh, having a better appreciation for nature as an adult, but these look like the coolest woods that have ever been filmed oh, in the history yeah. of woods. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just that, all, that everything about Northwest patina it's, too. That it's I also interesting yeah. too, because like, it's like, I love, so like when you first start off with the film, it's, you know, it's, it's lush and it's, natureful i'm just gonna throw that word out there but then I, I love as the film becomes a horror film especially when he's hunting them all in the woods and you and it almost becomes like um like uh elements of like surreal like surrealistic fantasy especially like when you get all those those uh the the shots of the the fa- like the fake lightning that they're just recreating on set because it doesn't look natural yeah and just the way that they shot the nighttime scenes and the, the lightning in, in the woods it, it 
it felt eerie and and like like not necessarily in the extent that like like Ridley Scott would do with like fucking legend, but it just didn't feel of this world. It just felt like he left this world and which makes sense. It just kind of you feel like you're in the mind of Rambo and it's like, oh, it's it's fucking amazing. Even from the beginning, I mean, well, OK, so we've already sort of spoiled it for, for people who don't know. Obviously, all three of us love this movie, but this is a movie that is basically about local cops in a shitty town in where are they supposed to be? Oregon, probably yeah. Washington, well, it's like Washington, Portland, Washington, whatever up that way. Well, yeah. Mike, why don't you give us the synopsis? Go ahead, yeah, oh, give us like, the synopsis. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so Rambo is, tells the story of a Vietnam veteran named John Rambo, a former Green Beret who is visiting the small town of Hope, Washington, to go visit visit a former. What's the American version of comrade? Because when I think of comrade, I think of Russia. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. A uh, 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 war uh, buddy would suffice. A war buddy. Uh, he goes to visit a war buddy uh, to learn that he actually had passed away the previous year due to exposure to Agent Orange. And just the way that they reveal that is interesting. I think Rambo at one point says, you know, uh, uh, the war killed him just after the fact or something. He had a great way to describe it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, had a great way to describe it. So while Rambo, Rambo's just kind of been wandering around uh, is walking through this small little town. Local sheriff Will Teasel, I think his name was, stops him and just fucking starts harassing him for his un- unkempt hair, army jacket, his messy appearance. And I actually had to explain this to my wife. She's like, "Why would an American flag be an issue?" It's like he thinks he 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 thinks Rambo's a hippie because it's like it's like you know he just thinks he's a bum, a hippie, just wandering around, just being no good to anyone. So the sheriff starts fucking with him. Um, doesn't let him hang out in town, is trying to drive him out. Uh, and then Rambo defies and just starts to walk back to the town. Shit gets uh, a little tense. They try to book Rambo. He does not like it very much because it reminds him of being trapped in a, a Vietnam war prison. Um, and as with the a cops, mustache, by yeah, the way. Oh, the mustache. And as as the cops get more and more uppity with him, he fights back and all hell breaks loose. And then it becomes a manhunt where these cops are trying to take down Rambo because they're, it becomes a pissing contest. Essentially. They just can't let this seemingly, you know, uh, homeless bum that they think he is get the better of them. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it escalates all, it, from there. It escalates <laughs> from there and escalates from just being, being completely defensive, you know, almost, uh, uh, karate kid defense style. Um, where he's not trying to kill anyone to him, just fucking creating carnage. I mean, yeah, they've, they've picked the wrong person to mess with. It's, it's worth being clear. One of the things that might not be obvious to people because of the movies that come later is that like, he he basically is homeless, right? Like he has nowhere else to be really. I think one of the things that gets, sort of obscure because of the history of the franchise is that we think like, no, he's just going for a walk, but he's a stand up citizen. And I'm like, I mean, I guess no, he's an actual drifter. And, and the movie wants you to feel like, yeah, who cares? Let him be a fucking drifter. Like, like in other words, what I find really interesting about this movie as compared to say the people I think of as Rambo fans, this is a fuck 12 movie, right? Like this is a, this is a movie straight up about, uh, small dick energy local cops in the Pacific Northwest, which if people don't know the Pacific North, you know, this, I think in the, um, 
I don't know if it's in the Pacific Northwest in the original book, actually. It might have been set in the South, but the vibe is the same. Like, let's keep let's yeah. let's let's keep in mind only one state in the US tried to ban black people, and it wasn't in the South. <laughs> you know? Oh, 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 you know, uh, uh only one state still has multiple uh uh public schools named after well-known Ku Klux Klan leaders. And it's there. Guess what? It's not the South. The the Pacific Northwest has a long history of like not being uh, the most open minded place in the world. So the idea that he's there in this small town, that's all very realistic. But it's interesting because in 1982, we're dealing with a homelessness crisis that like like for people who don't know, this was the peak of that for two major reasons. One, as Josh will attest to the shutdown of the mental health care system that all over the country, the government was just like, we're going to close this mental health facility we're going to give these patients the phone number of a shrink and a couple hundred dollars and then they're going to just go live their lives well a lot of them did go live their lives on the streets guys that's yep, that's, that's kind of how that worked yeah. and then the other thing was uh was crack right uh crack, well and other drugs too but but Crack really crack accentuated, yep. really accentuated, so that the streets were suddenly filled, uh, you know, during the Reagan administration, with folks who were dealing with mental health issues, dealing with substance issues, dealing with both often, and a chunk of these people were vets who were not being taken care of. So this scenario is probably really familiar to people. Like one of the things that really struck me on this viewing was like, how many people like watching this movie are like, well, if I saw some random wandering vet in my neighborhood, I'd call the cops. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yet this, this character becomes a fucking icon of the eighties. And honestly becomes an icon of the big dick anti-commie energy of the eighties. Isn't that kind of weird? It feels weird to me, guys. I don't, yeah. I don't know what you think I mean, about that. Also keep in mind that by Rocky four, he's helping Al Qaeda freedom fighters. Oh, that's true too. We can or touch not on Rocky that. for Rambo for yeah, 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 Rambo so, for it's, right. It's like the character of Rambo that's in this film did not match at all the character of Rambo I had in my mind. No. And I honestly feel like the character of Rambo I have in my mind is the person that he is in the, every subsequent film. And I've just right. heard like what the like stories about what the new Rambo is. And it's it's does not seem like a uh, it's a movie I'll probably force myself to watch, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to it. I definitely uh, did not hate the newer Rambo movie. Well, I, I didn't know. see the last one, but the one before the last one, I did not hate. Yeah, I, that I, one, I didn't hate it either, but it's definitely not first blood. They're just very different kinds yeah, of movies. For sure. It's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting, like because my my wife actually made the comparison, not to talk about the other film as well, but like because she, she was playing Animal Crossing when I was watching these movies, and she's like, and we watched Cobra first, and I was just like, wait, in, in Cobra he is a cop, and in this one he's fighting the cops. It's like I know, isn't that fucking weird? Like it's it just not, does not seem like it should be this same character well, because I first mean, blood feels very timely. I mean, I would say that the the my opinion is that Cobra is the movie that Stallone thinks he's better. Like I think I think he obviously sees himself in in, in John Rambo, or else he wouldn't keep playing whatever version of the character he wants to create. But Cobra is like Stallone. Like that's like St yeah. Stallone's idea of who he is: super cool, super sexy, to Brigitte Nielsen, yeah. yeah, and super dangerous. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Double. Oh yeah, especially yeah. if you know the history of that movie. Like this is that's very much how he saw himself. Okay, well we're gonna get. We're 
we're going to get to all that. Let's stay on First Blood for now because yeah. I don't want to disrespect First Blood because here's the deal. I think if we talk about the history of Stallone's career and we talk about the history of cinema in the 80s, I would say not just Cobra, but the Rambo movies and a bunch of other stuff that Stallone did later – all these things have disrespected the history of First Blood. And First Blood gets treated like, again, this fucking this jingoistic B-movie yeah, like- that it is not. It is a it, it is for a movie that is still about the action and the violence, it it is in some ways an interesting portrayal of trauma and of the ways that we uh uh you know, uh, marginalized people while still delivering on some fucking crazy shit at the same time. Like it's almost granted. I'm saying this, not having seen any of the Rambo sequels, just knowing their, um, reputation. I almost feel like, um, first blood would probably be considered one of the greatest action films of all time. If the other films weren't made. I still think it, by people who care, I mean, you have to keep in mind, the people who care about greatest action movies of all time, they love First Blood. It's just in general. I guess I'm talking about like in popular consciousness. Right. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And I think it's true. But I think it's, it's again, it's not too, it's, it's the same phenomena as the Rocky films, right? If you've mm-hmm. only seen Rocky four, you know what I mean? And then you watch Rocky, you realize like these are two very different movies. I mean, even the way that Stallone was being filmed, Rocky is about how small Stallone is. That's part of the narrative of the movie is that he is actually not a very big or impressive man. And then by the second movie, really suddenly he's a a massive person. (laughs) It's so interesting too, because like I, I still can't wrap my mind around that Stallone wrote the first Rocky. It's crazy. Considering yeah. the other stuff that he's written. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he, say what you will, but he did it. <laughs> That's yeah. it. He did it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'll always have a lot of respect for him for writing that script. Well, and, and let's, let's, let's put this out there that there is a lot of first blood that does have some of the things that would become caricatures of Sloan. Not as much as Cobra. Mm-hmm. There's large sections of Cobra where he doesn't say any dialogue that you can understand words in mm. like that's, that's a reality, but there are still parts of, of first blood where he's a little mealy mouthed, you know, mm. where he has some of the mannerisms that we would come to associate him with. But you, if you can ignore some of those, the hints at the caricature, this is a pretty good performance and yeah, he, it's a really good performance and he's funny without Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even by the end where he's starting to be the kind of unstoppable action powerhouse that would become what Rambo is, there's still performance going on that I don't see in like Rambo four. Like, like there's, there's still subtlety going on in some of what he's doing, even when he's shooting things and doing whatever. And it's like uh, this, this situation he's in where he's reliving this war in this small town and these fucking assholes have no idea what they're dealing with. Like, it, it, you know, usually when you have someone show up and, and I'm sure a lot of the these sorts of characters are based off of First Blood. So that's maybe what makes them ridiculous. But the character who shows up and goes, you guys don't know what you're in for. You've really messed up this time. He's an unstoppable killing machine. I'm like rolling my eyes out of my head. And in this movie, when he shows up and starts telling them like, you should really give up. I was like, fuck, man, listen to the dude. Like there's just something compelling about this being the er text of that. Yeah. like, And also like the scene when he's talking to, 
to yeah, uh, yeah. that guy on the to Troutman on the walkie-talkie and he's oh, calling it's such him, a, sir. It's such a like understated performance, it's but such like a wild new this entire film is an understated performance. But like that little, I oh that little part, like just like the way, how how quiet he got and like he, he had his almost like a three sixty in terms of of personality and character in a way because like realistically the only time that you see even just a slight little bit of levity out of him is when. He's like showing the pictures of his like war friend to his to his family and everything and really excited to see this dude and it doesn't happen. And then like it's just like when he's talking to um um uh, Troutman, mm-hmm. um he's he he almost like becomes a child in a way and yeah. like he he's like a, a a child who's like almost like afraid to be scolded and get in trouble and he's just like like trying to like he's not screaming at him he's not yelling he just gets very quiet and he's trying like you know they 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 had first blood they had like he just keeps repeating it and like in his heart of heart he he well it's true but he believes it he's not like trying to scream it and like i always just think of like this line that um uh, Rob Reiner talked about in um, when making a Stand by Me, and when he was like per, uh, give, like directing the kids, and near the end when uh, Will Wheaton has the uh, has the gun, like that's Will Wheaton, right? Um, yep, that's him. Uh, when he's got the gun, and like he just quietly, you know, is talking to uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and that was apparently a piece of direction from uh, Rob Reiner because he said, you know, when you have the power, you don't have to scream. And that's something that I feel like Stallone's character, some characters sometimes forgets. Cause like, he's just so earnest in that scene. It's also the only part in the entire movie where he bows down to authority. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, there is, I, I mean, I, I will say there is an underlying conservatism to the movie oh, yeah, that, sure. re- that relates to like, it's kind of like you know what this reminds me of Josh and Mike the misinterpretation of born in the USA right mm-hmm. that like born in the USA is just as much an angry song about Vietnam but like people hear it and they're just like yeah I was born in the USA fuck yeah man I know that country yeah <laughs> and they don't realize like the the disillusionment it, I, I, it almost feels like that's what happened with this movie all mm-hmm. people saw was the fact that Stallone felt, or either sorry, the John Rambo character feels abandoned by the society. Like, look, he went to this other country. He became a goddamn inhuman killing machine. He watched all of his friends die. He was fucking tortured. And then he came home and was treated like trash. But of course, because the movie is essentially conservative and really John Rambo as a character is essentially conservative. The blame is on the hippies, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really about a government that abandoned all these people. Like, I don't care how many uh, flower children spit on you at the airport. If you had come home to like, you know, the sort of care package that world war two vets got, it really wouldn't matter. Right? Like you could, if, if, if you had like, uh, you know, healthcare and mental health care and a place to live. But like, really you came home and like the, 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 the popular culture had turned on you. And then the government was like, yo, we got our own shit going on guys. So you got to fed for yourself here. Yeah. Sorry, y'all do your best. But, but of course, like the, the, that's like a more nuanced take, but I think that's still present in the film. There is some blame put on, uh, 
you know, the authorities and power. And yet people saw this movie and just were like, yeah, I'm also an, an, an angry, I'm also angry at the world and I'm angry at the, and it, it's almost like the wrong notes came out. And, and I yeah. don't think that's a failure of this film. I think the film is really clear and really empathetic and, and really condemning of these fucking shithead cops. Like that cop who falls to his death is the most satisfying injury <laughs> in the entire film. When he falls out of that helicopter, as much as I know it's bad because it's the beginning of things going off the rails, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, fuck you, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a part of me that really feels okay about it. <laughs> See, it's funny. The thing that I got from this movie is the same thing that I got from the first Lone Wolf and Cub. Right? Oh, okay. Like, yeah. That actually John Rambo is the only true businessman. You know what I mean? Like he's still conducting the same business that he was taught and reared to. So right. He actually is like the last company man in a world sure. that shifts underneath him. Yeah. So like, that was the read that I got with this one. Like, you know, he's still just doing what they taught him to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's 100% true. He's, he's, he's reliving that experience. And, and he says at the end, you know, that like, that was the last time that he felt like he mattered, even though it's horrible, right? He's tortured. He sees his friends die. He sees horrible gore that like, you know, hurts him in whatever ways. It was also the last time that like he mattered. Right. Yeah. I think well, he, he says something along the lines of, you know, I can drive million dollar tanks, a million dollar, you know, airplanes or whatever. You know, people listen to me and respect. And he's like, here, I can't even get, I can't even hold down a fucking job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Fuck. That shit is real. Mm-hmm. I, I, real. I think it's one of those narratives, though, that's gotten lost in the sands of time to a certain yeah. extent. It, it became a cliche in a way. Like, how many movies after First Blood? had the same sort of uh not even just premise but like character notes like another vietnam vet who's been abandoned by the system it became that's the whole like story of uh of uh the rock right (laughs) (laughs) And, and and so like i think i think this realization this characterization became so cliche that like we've lost how sort of vital it was and and don't be wrong i'm not trying to say first blood is you know just a gripping drama this is clearly this has notes in it that ring of exploitation as well right Mm -hmm. for sure for sure it's very much trying to be a spectacle and it succeeds there's some awesome stuff that happens in this movie um but it still is also a much more empathetic film than i feel like the rest of the eighties was able to do with this subject in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree. That's crazy. God I mean, damn let's it. also talk about the fact that Dave Caruso is in this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> teenage ass David Caruso. Like, God damn, no sunglasses, huh, bro? I really feel look. like, I really feel like with David Caruso, I'm like, all right, you got first blood, you got King of New York. Uh, you got, I think he's also in bad Lieutenant. Right. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then, and then what? He's on TV. Like, I don't really know any, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's like an intermediary that's just completely gone for some reason. I'm sure there's other stuff. That's all I can think of, really. I, I don't know. I really I, like I, David. I really like um, Brian Dennehy in this movie, too. He's yeah. unbelievable. He's so. He is a great bad guy. He is so good. Well, he's the bad, he's the bad guy who is an asshole, but isn't just an asshole. Like, there's something there, maybe, but he is. I don't know. I, I kind of think when he first 
I really do think that if we didn't know Sylvester Stallone the way that we do, if if this was an unknown actor in a similar movie, I think there are people in 1982 who would be like, "I'm with Dennehy, man, run off this fucking drifter." You know what I mean? Like, I I think I think it's just now, like as a modern viewer, as soon as he starts acting any sort of way, I'm like, "You're a fucking idiot, man!" Like, like my entire vibe is like, "Look at this inhuman monster," you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you were mentioning seeing uh, David Caruso, like a couple a couple faces that I was happy to see. I was happy to see Alf Humphreys, if you know who that is. Sure, he, sure. He played the character of Howard in uh, My Bloody Valentine. Yep. Which, uh, and then Chris Mulkey. I worked with Chris Mulkey on a movie, and I was like, oh, oh. shit, I wasn't expecting to see him. Yeah. So that, you know, I was just young happy to too, see like these young. weird little, little like character actors. It's a great, it is really a great cast. It's. It is oh. like no matter how small the part, like everyone is just is really good. Did you guys actually notice Bruce Greenwood in this? I didn't. I'm just I looking didn't at the IMDb. Bruce Greenwood. In it. Yeah, no. I, I'm just looking at the IMDb, and I was like, oh yeah, blah blah. blah. And then I got to Bruce Greenwood, who was Guardsman number five. I missed <laughs> that altogether, but that's just funny because I he's a very usually a very recognizable face to me, but he probably was only in it for like a second or something. And then like I, I just I just seriously just want to keep going back to like. Stallone's performance in this film because uh, like I I'm unapologetic with the fact that Rocky is one of my favorite movies of all sure. time yeah of course um I because I, I just think it's 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 a phenomenal drama it's a phenomenal sports film it's just it's got a lot going on for it um and it's just like I'm I, I've, I'm not used to other than that film for the longest time I'm just not used to seeing Stallone perform like really act I mean I never you, thought you, of him yeah, you've got Rocky, you've got First Blood, you've got Copland. Yeah, uh, which I've not seen. Oh, bro. Cop, 100% cop. I mean, the, I guess this is the weird thing about Stallone, right? Is like, uh, I could definitely count a million performances where he doesn't seem like he's in the movie and only a few where he's good. But the ones where he's good, he's really good and it's really fucking weird. Like when I, when I saw Copland, I saw Copland when it came out in the theater and I definitely went thinking this was going to be a dumb movie and it's not. And he's really good at it. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I guess he can act like, it was, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, don't be wrong. Some of his terrible performances are also great. Like when I was a kid, I loved that movie Oscar. Do you guys remember Oscar? Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember. Oscar. No, I haven't seen that, but I, I unapologetically love Stop and My Mom Will Shoot. Oh, yeah. Same. <laughs> same. I've seen it a million times. Genius but, like but like I just like. Throughout this film, like he's he's understated in a way that he's not normally right. in this film, which which I love. Like I said, he's 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 quiet, but not in a way that he is in say Cobra, right. where because Cobra as a character is quiet in the loudest way possible. Where in this, it's like he 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 almost is going through this film trying to be unassuming. This film is not like up until like he has to like take his shirt off to be like deloused or whatever. He's hiding his figure. He's he's he's. They're not afraid to show how small he is. They're not. He's trying to just go under the radar. But then, like, like it's it's almost crazy. And, I, and this is not a slight against his performance at all. But like the ending of the film when he's doing his like his big speech before he gets arrested is one of the most gripping and at simultaneously also really funny performances of all time. And I don't mean funny in a bad way. Like, there, there's lines that make me laugh, but he's also so good and so convincing that I feel really like conflicted about it. Like, huh. 
But the entire time, like, whenever he would say, like, he had that line where he was like, he wanted to drive his car, but I was like, I don't know where your legs are. Like, I was like, I feel bad for laughing at this because he's also really good in this scene. Yeah. So I was very conflicted yeah. about it. But, like, he's just, like, like I just kept thinking, man, I want more of this Stallone. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the frustration, right? Like, I think for for people who, if you're someone out there, because I'm sure they exist, who've managed to avoid most of Stallone's performances, and which at a certain point might have seemed impossible. But if you if you're a younger listener, uh, you might have been able to like not really see him in much, right? Mm. I actually would recommend do a Rocky First Blood double feature, and what that will do. Honestly, in my honest opinion, it will make you hate him even more because you'll be like, oh, wait, this guy is actually very good. He is one of the most wasted. Yes. Yes. I mean, again, I love Cobra and Cobra can only exist. We're going to get there in a sec. It can only exist because of who Stallone is. But the character of Cobra could be any man in (laughs) that year. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not a performance. You going back to saying you know, go back and double Rocky with First Blood, and like you said, a hundred percent, I agree with you. You'll make you hate Stallone for that for that reason. But what's even more frustrating is Stallone. You look at his career before Rocky; he had done some shit, you know, not sure. much. He'd sure. you know, Death Race two thousand and a couple bit parts here and there, and he was he was a frustrated actor. He wasn't like a frustrated bodyguard or bodybuilder. He wasn't, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme who who could lift his leg above his head and thought I could be in movies he was a frustrated actor who wanted to wanted better performances and he wrote the, the story of Rocky because he wanted because no one would give him a part because of the way he looked the way he talked and he's like well I let me write a film that I know I can do and show people what I can act and he fucking wrote an incredible movie and he, he um and then he had a small short track record of doing performances. He did Rocky. He did Fist. Say what you want about Paradise Alley, but he's still performing. He did Rocky Two, <laughs> where he's still performing. He did Nighthawks. And he was doing these movies where he was and you know, all the way up till first blood. And then it's just like I don't know, he just like I don't want to say he intentionally like, oh fuck acting, but like it he he became a persona and he didn't have to, you know perform uh but this is the thing i think the roots of him being terrible were there because it's really easy to go well rocky and first blood and forget that between rocky because you wrote them off pretty quickly but to me the fact that you have rocky and then you do have paradise alley a movie that i've watched within the last year and it's a fucking covered it yeah it's a torture session it's like it's unwatchable then you have rocky 2 which i actually think i don't think his performance is bad but his ego is there right he he literally is saying it's been a while since i've seen it but i yeah i think you're right he's he's redoing his own movie but making himself seem cooler that's that's all it is but he hasn't completely given up because as far as I'm concerned, Nighthawks is a fucking killer movie. If you've never seen Nighthawks, check out Nighthawks. It's fucking great. But Rocky three, come on guys, Rocky, no matter what anyone says, I get why people love it. It's bad. It is bad, bad, bad. And knowing that he went straight from Rocky three to first blood says to me that like, he still was very capable of doing something amazing because he does it in first blood. And then pretty quickly after that, I mean, again, the next year 
I'm sorry, staying alive, get the fuck out of my face. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ. Let alone then doing Rocky Four, which I love Rocky Four, but for all the reasons, once you get into Rocky Four, right? Like you were saying, Rocky Four, Cobra over the top. That's where I start to love Stallone for not the reasons. You know what I mean? Like, I love. You know, I, I did yeah, watch the recut of Rocky Four, and it is amazing. <laughs> well, it's, I, I'm agree. Like, you know, I love, you know, younger acting Stallone, especially now after seeing First Blood, because I feel like that was a, a film that I was missing. But then, like, when I think about, you know, fucking, you know, Rhinestone Cobra Stallone, I love that for a completely <laughs> different reason. True. Rhinestone Cobra Stallone. So good. Or Judge Dredd. You know, pick your choose your choose your poison. It's just it really does go back and forth with him. Like you know, 1995, he made Assassins, which is just a fucking torture session of a movie, right? Yeah. But then just after that, he made Copland in 97. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, 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 the, the, the roots of something very good are still possible with him. It just seems like he doesn't choose it. And I'll still say he's great in Creed. I think he's really good in Creed. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. So well, anyways. I, like, I like him in Rocky five. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> I said I like him. I didn't say I necessarily liked the movie. That's fair. That's fair. I saw Rocky Five in the theaters, by the way, and it was the first. And you're was, gonna get mad at me. You paid money to see it. I was a kid. Yeah, I, 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 I I remember seeing Rocky Five in the theaters and leaving and being like, I think that's the first movie I've seen in a the theater that was shitty. Like I think that was my first experience of leaving a movie. And and that says something because when you when you're a kid, and hell, I even say as an adult. I'm like far more forgiving for a movie in a oh, theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like the first time you see a movie and you're like in a theater and you're like, I don't know if I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> is is I think that might have been bad. Do you have a memory of that movie of whatever movie that was for you, Mike? Oh, I'm trying to think honestly because like I, I hear I had the whole this whole build up to like you, you don't forget that moment and like <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what the what the like the one that really burned me was and actually actually i remember it um uh and it, i was so bummed out too because um i it was my first radar movie that i snuck into because i was one of those fortunate kids that had facial hair at, a young, at 16 so <laughs> people didn't really question i and it was i also it was my first time seeing a horror movie in, in, in a theater i'm like oh this is gonna be great i saw that piece of shit movie the boogeyman Ooh. And yeah, even because that movie was brand new when it came, like when I, when I saw it, and I was like, "Man, this is bad." And like <laughs> when I was in high, like, uh, what was it? High, I was what year did that come? out? It doesn't matter what year that came out. I was probably early high school. Um, that was a big deal because it's like you know my first radar movie, my first horror film in a theater. You know, I've seen horror films before that, and it's like, damn, that was a stinker. <laughs> Yeah, that that was probably it. And yet, funny enough, my my very first movie theater memory is a movie that most people absolutely hate. But my very first movie theater memory is Batman Forever. So I always have a place in my heart because that was the first movie I saw in a theater. The first movie I hated in the theater was Benny and June. Oh man, (laughs) I you know what's crazy about that, Josh, is that uh, I liked that movie as a kid. I, I thought it, it was fun. I, I really. I did. I thought it was fun too. I've not seen this as an adult, but I liked the first time I saw it. I think I had the VHS at home. 
Uh, I watched it multiple times. Oh my god. Okay, let's switch. Ge- we got to switch gears to Cobra here. Not because there's not more to say about First Blood, but we want to make sure we have time to talk about Cobra. Uh, I asked people on Twitter if they had anything questions for us or comments, and a friend of the show, Evan Valella, said he just has a comment, and then in all caps, "The court is civilized, isn't it, pig?" <laughs> and I think that's a good way to start our discussion of Cobra. <laughs> Can I say one last thing about First yeah, Blood? Please no, that do. Has please to, do. Oh, that yeah, has to ahead, relate yeah. to that. That line reminds me of. Of a line that stuck out to me in First Blood, where he's like, "You are the law in the city, but out here, I, like he's like, I'm the law." Or he said something like that, where he's like, "No, he <laughs> does." And I literally, when he said it, I was like, "All right, Judge Dread, wait a yeah. wait a fucking." Uh, pre- but he says it act. like so quiet and under his breath and everything. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's that's not a choice Stallone would make later on." <laughs> no, that no. line and the uh, "I'll give you a war you won't believe," like that shit is still forever. Please, please do brain. your Stallone impression again. I really enjoyed that. I'll give you a war you won't believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that made my night. Thank you. Day two, day two first blood. <laughs> uh, you know what? I won't do any impressions from Cobra because, like I said before, I want to reiterate, there are large portions of this movie where Stallone is talking, but he's not intelligible. He's not He's not articulating. Any, it's literally like there are parts of his performance in Cobra where it feels like he's caricaturing himself on SNL. Like, yeah. I, like no joke, y'all. Like, he just isn't saying anything. It's really weird. It's a weird. It is a fascinating piece of film. Oh, my Mike, God. Mike, would you want to give you... us the synopsis for this one as yeah, well? Yeah, let's do I it, will. Mike. I remember years ago, though, I remember hearing, I think it was on a talk show. I feel like I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to do a Sylvester, a Sylvester Stallone impression, and that's kind of his performance in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that so on Cobra. so many levels is blowing my mind right now. But go on. <laughs> I, I don't remember where, I don't even really know if I can find it, but I remember hearing it. But... Cobra is a is a this one I watched a little bit longer ago. So let's see if I can if I can do this. Cobra is a is a story about a. Um, he's a police officer. Who's police a of, I was trying to think of yeah. like uh, trying to find a good. Like, he's a uh, member of the work. zombie squad. Yes, the zombie squad. His name is Lieutenant Cobretti, where they all just affectionately call him Cobra, who is a loose cannon cop. Uh, a cop that uh, the other cops don't necessarily like calling in because they know he's he's gonna get he's gonna get results he's gonna get shit done but he's gonna cause a lot of paperwork for them all because he's gonna do things his way. Well, he's called in um, to investigate this organization known as the New World, which is a group of axe wielding fucking freaks i guess who want to create a whole a new world i don't quite understand it it doesn't make any sense it's got it brian no thompson who i think is a very underrated uh uh character actor from the 80s um and they are going around murdering people and um uh kind of leaving their bodies all asunder um and uh bridget nielsen's character ingrid ends up seeing one of these murders take place and then brian thompson in typical brian thompson fashion just stares at her and then she becomes the target of their of their vengeance i guess and um she gets has a couple near misses with them so cobretti is called in to uh help save her help protect her and make sure she doesn't you know get an axe to the face um (laughs) This and, one's harder to describe. I don't know why. But. And Cobra couldn't possibly do any police work to find these motherfuckers. He just has to keep dangling her out as a piece of meat and then hopefully <laughs> murder all of them. Like, if you notice, 
There's not a single moment. There, okay. There's a long montage where he's supposedly doing police work. And what that means is he's just walking on the street talking to people. Uh, and looking at pictures on his computer. Yeah. Mostly homeless people in the film. Uh, occasionally people who I think are meant to be uh, sex workers. And then this is the part that's, that is just so 80s, right? He spends the whole movie talking to folks on the street. Some of them look very respectable. Some of them, most of them look very disrespectful. The only time he assaults someone is the one black guy he talks to. He assaults this guy <laughs> at a bar. And you're like... Wait a minute! Come on, this is what we're gonna do now. Like, we're, 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 this is the one time we're gonna see him get tough with somebody. Come on, guys! But like, other than that montage, he does no police work. He just dangles her out and then tries to murder everyone who tries to murder her. Honestly, that's what that—that's Andrew Robinson's whole like complaint about him is he doesn't do any like he doesn't no. do any real police work. At multiple times, he has to go back to his place to check his files, which seems like. Not true. Like, even though we see him do it, every time he says it, I think, are you going home to jerk off? Like, what is happening right now? Because nothing. He's going to go home and eat pizza with a fucking pair of scissors. So good. Okay. Okay. So good. Okay. When they're filming that scene and he's in his fucking weird apartment and he's cutting the the pizza with scissors, does Stallone know that that's funny or is he just so high on crank that he has no idea that what he's doing is psychotic. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's gotta be on purpose, right? Like he's being yeah, goofy. He right? has to know, right? Because dude, just the egg case with the gun stuff in there, like you have to know that this shit is weird, right? Like it's funny, right? Oh. Like it's supposed and- to be funny. Everything about this movie is crazy. His fucking car is crazy. Oh, the, the car is so good. It's oh. like, man, were you in Motley Crue? Because oh like, oh my god, and then it's like, so all, great. All the beats with that car and the car in front of it, oh. I just think are oh, are, are great. Word. I love when he rips off the dude's shirt and you can see the boom mics taped to his chest. And <laughs> every take, and no one, it's still in the movie. It's fucking glorious. Oh my god, <laughs> I love that. He, oh, sorry, not a boom mic, a lavalier yeah, mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the idea that he just his whole fucking plan is just drive north. Until they come to kill us, and then we'll just kill all of them. That's the whole fucking plan. And the one scene where he gets a vibe like, you know what? I bet they're coming. All he had to do was take her and his partner, get in the car, drive away, leave the other cop. They'd be fine. But he's just hanging out, hanging out. And then finally he's like, wait a minute. I think we've been portrayed. I knew not to trust her. Oh my God. It's so. The biggest shock to me was that was not Stockard Channing, who's the lady. I was yeah. like, is she in Greece? I think I've seen this lady before. <laughs> That's who she reminded her. me of. Yeah, no, totally it's not her. Like, it's not it's her. not Stockard Channing. It's a lady named Lee Garlington. My man has like multiple assault rifles and explosives all the time. Really? He's grenades. Just what? grenades everywhere. You don't just carry grenades? The um, axe clinking. Guys, what's up oh with my that? God. So I okay, no because it looks good. Can, can, can I can I say like A, the the idea that he has to convince them that these murders are multiple people, even at the point where now he's been attacked by groups of people, and these other cops are like, I don't know, your the- your theory seems flimsy here about a group of attackers. <laughs> what are we talking about? He was attacked by a group of attackers. What are, what is even happening in this yeah. fucking movie, you know? But then like the whole vibe of this secret murder organization. It felt. I don't know if you guys know who Bill Cooper we is. We need to know, know that murder. Yeah, that's true. Do you guys know who Bill Cooper is? 
No, I could pretend like I do. But uh, he's know. he's the he's the guy who wrote that um, on a pale white horse book. He's he's basically a conspiracy theory guy who claimed he worked for the CIA and had proof that not only were that aliens were real, but that there was a new world order of humans working with aliens. And uh, he was a crazy person. And honestly, a lot of the shit that cool. he wrote was super influential even today so that parts of QAnon is influenced by this book. But, you know, he was super influential on in the 80s and 90s, Josh. Sylvester Stallone movies? Uh, Hip hop. Basically, oh. all of the street knowledge shit that rappers were talking about in the late 80s was all from right. Bill Cooper's book. Like, all that New World Order shit and all that stuff, that all came from Bill Cooper. And the way that they talk about this organization, the New World Order, I was like, who read Bill Cooper? Who's listening to the Bill? He had a radio show called, like, uh, oh, I forget what it was called. Our conspiracy theory friends are going to be mad that I don't know about it. But it was really Sorry, influential. Rob. It was really, really influential, this fucking radio show he had and stuff. And so I, I, I've i always thought, like, I wonder if Cobra's influenced by all that Bill Cooper conspiracy theory shit. Because he was, like, a big fucking deal. And, and, like, honestly, a lot of people would defend that book as being, like, actually really insightful. But um, you know the book's bullshit because uh, the whole last chapter is just uh, – the the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion, uh, but he says uh, this is all true. But instead of Jews, it's aliens, and he just reprinted the protocols. And I'm like, okay, this guy's clearly an asshole. But like, he was very influential on a lot of people. He was he was like a big fucking deal for a while. Yeah, I think he eventually got in trouble for stealing money or something. But the whole idea that there's this like secret cabal, and in the picture they want you to see the 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 shot that it's not just like costume punks like hollywood costume punks there's also like guys in suits there yeah and a businessman with like yeah a briefcase yeah and like i just imagine that guy being like hey barry axe clinking tonight <laughs> yeah i'll see you there we'll stand in that circle and clink our axes it'll be great it almost feels like they're, they're all there in like costumes and he didn't have time after work is like i just yeah, i can't be yeah. late for the axe clinking <laughs> But what I love, what I love about all of that is it's like Fight Club. It's tapped in, it's tapped into this deep like thing that's going on in conservative culture that there's like uh, some sort of Illuminati murder yeah, cult thing going on. Secret thing happening. Behind oh, the scenes. totally. Like, like this is like the germs of Pizzagate. Like in this movie. Whoa. God, I hadn't considered any of that, but you're hundred percent correct. But, but here's the thing: they couldn't bother to write any motivations. All yeah. we know is that they click axes and they kill people. They never say why, and it would be Even, so easy to come up with a why. There's so many whys. There's yeah, so many reasons you could come up with, and they just never York. do it. Yeah, they just never Dude. fucking do it. The only exposition we get is at the beginning when he kills the dude in the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's all we get. He just says, I'm the new order, like, and all that stuff. And then, then you know, Cobra's all, you're the disease, and I love the cure. Like, or whatever. You know, he says that stuff. And then that's it. That's all we get. You know, that's the only insight into oh, the new world order. Into a t-shirt. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so, just, so good. This fucking movie, guys. It's, it's, it's fucking amazing. It, it, oh, the thing is. Fuck, he grabs the beer. Oh, everything. I mean, ketchup. Look, oh, my goodness. Look, for people who really are in love with First Blood and they, they mourn the Stallone of First Blood, I do feel like Cobra is like the salt in the fucking wound. Like, this is. This is maybe the most like. I'm glad I watched Cobra. Granted, I'd seen Cobra in the past, right? And I, 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 I kind of love uh, now as I slowly, 
see all these action films that I missed back in the day. I love like an action horror hybrid like this is. And I'd so I've seen Cobra before, but fuck, I'm glad I watched Cobra before I watched First Blood because like, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah. But but he, I I will say this though, like I, I was it sounded like I was about to slam Cobra. I, I don't care though. Like I get it. Like, mm-hmm. like this is everything that's wrong with Stallone. It's his fucking ego. Like the whole movie is a love letter to Cobra, right? It's yeah. just about how fucking badass and sexy he is and how He's like got the every, gun with a snake on there. And everyone the should just there. ignore that he can't fucking talk and that he doesn't make do anything in the movie other than just shoot people. Like, like whatever. But like it doesn't matter, right? It's enter- there's something about it that is fully unapologetically entertaining top to bottom. Even when he hits the cop who 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 starts off being entirely reasonable. The yeah. what what makes that cop unreasonable is just that he keeps making the same point the whole movie. Like the cop just says the same thing in every scene. It's just by midway through the movie, the audience is going there's clearly a conspiracy, guys. There's a bunch of people. We've seen a bunch. It's got to be a conspiracy. But like, for the most part, at first, that that guy seems actually pretty like normal. And then by the end of the movie, when he punches them, you're like, yeah, fuck you, liberal. You fucking, you wuss. Not letting Cobra murder people. Cobra should time, murder whoever he wants. The whole time in my head, I'm like, yo, he's still the dad from Hellraiser. <laughs> and it's actually his brother that's like, no, no, no. We're hanging on to this one concept. Then it's not a group of people. Look at my funny teeth. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so much funnier when you think about it that way. Way. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. It's crazy Great. to think that's the same dude from Dirty Dirty Harry. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Pretty I also, I also think the running theme of his partner just eating candy all the time is like the weirdest, most utter. It, it it doesn't work as a joke, right? Like it's never funny the whole movie. <laughs> but they even come back to it at the end, like you're supposed to go, oh, oh man, oh man, candy, right? Yeah, yeah totally like, candy. Oh, that's probably bad for his sugar. But it's all like well, and now and now pizza. I see why his son had such problems with fucking weight because he's <laughs> you know he in his in Stallone's mind a joke about eating vegetables is, and how bad candy is it's like no wonder your son felt had such poor body issues Jesus well and let's be clear the only thing we see him do in the movie is cut pizza with scissors it's not like he's eating probiotic salads the whole movie and he does eat an apple to be fair. Oh, that's true. He does a whole apple. But like, it's crazy. So a, a friend of mine told me about this, and then I'm also seeing it. I also saw it again mentioned on uh, Wikipedia. But like, the whole like consensus of this of this film was uh, apparently he had been offered Beverly Hills Cop at one point and wanted to change a bunch of stuff because like he wanted to get rid of the comedy and make it a pure action film and give the character a name like Cobretti so that way he can have a cool nickname like Cobra. And then essentially all these ideas were shot down and they instead hired Eddie Murphy and told Stallone to fuck off. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take all these cool Cobra ideas and go make my own movie. And, and, and you know, much to their chagrin since Beverly Hills Cop was such a giant flop. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like yeah. the idea. Can you imagine? I don't know how you guys feel about Beverly Hills Cop, except for the homophobic bits. It's a I've fucking. I've seen it as a kid, but I've not seen it. In, oh, actually, it's, I don't, it's brilliant. It's actually I'd fucking see, great. I'd seen all the, I, I know I've seen bits and pieces of all the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And I think I've formed them all into one movie. I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched all of Beverly Hills Cop. Well, no, the issue is that they are the same movie. The first three Beverly Hills Cops are just merely the same movie over and over again. But that first one is very good. I mean, it's not as good as 48 Hours, which is like, 
pretty great. Uh, unbelievable. But it's really good. And honestly, if it wasn't, I would still defend it as one of the best movies of my childhood, but it's has some very homophobic parts that are really a fucking bummer. Like honestly, but, um, but the idea that anyone had that fucking script and were like, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, it makes me unhappy to my core. Like <laughs> it's, it's a mind boggler. Yeah, it is yeah, the yeah. Eddie Murphy movie. It is, it is possibly the best, uh, uh, comedian. like 48 hours is a comedy, but it's not, you know, like mm-hmm. Beverly Hills cop is like the Eddie Murphy movie. Really? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, obviously other than, uh, Vampire of Brooklyn or whatever it's called. Golden Child, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Golden Fuck Golden Child. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, the idea of Stallone and Beverly Hills Cop is just, like, insane. Anyways, back to Cobra. It is so... Ra- like, you could say... I think some people would say, like, uh, First Blood is very much like a, a Reagan-era movie because of its dealing with the remnants of the Vietnam War and a world that was not really welcoming to Vietnam vets. But in another way... Cobra is actually the most Reagan movie because it's very much like, why do we have laws again? Like, yeah, why do we have rights much, for criminals? Like, just shoot everyone. Like, it's if, like the whole largesse of like imperialism stuck into one cop. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you guys think about the concept that maybe Stallone follows like the Anton Fuqua thing where he's actually a filmmaker trapped in a pop world? Okay, tell me about that. Okay, well, yeah, you know, explain you your think thought. About, you think about a movie like Training Day, right? And, you know, Anton Fuqua, great director. Like, that shit is actually pretty interesting, pretty insightful. You know what I mean? And it's, I think it's a good movie. But then you're forced to make movies like you're going to remake The Magnificent Seven. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to do, like, just shit movies that's like the pop acceptability, knowing that you are capable of this much more. Do you think that Stallone has this type of duality in him where he knows he can do a first blood, but he also knows he'll get paid on some Cobra shit. I don't know. I feel like maybe when he was younger, he, and granted, I'm, this is all just, you know, me just spitballing based on what what you said. I feel like when he was younger and you know, he viewed himself as an actor, maybe he would have, but I just feel like when he got success, he really got success. And he's like, well, why act when I can just, be Stallone, and while he has had good perform, I'm not just saying the only two good performances he had was Rocky and and uh, First Blood and Nighthawks. You know, like he, he had done other stuff, and even like it's a it's a dumb movie, but I really enjoy it. Like he's he, there, there are times where he is really good in something like Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He has shown that there are times when he can get his head out of his ass. He can be really good, and he can also be really good when he's just doing the full Stallone Cobra thing. But like, I just I don't. I don't know. Like I, I, it's hard to say because every so often you'll have these little nuggets of a performance. Um, but I, I feel like it's so inconsistent to, to really say it's not someone like, you know, a Michael Caine where he's had, well, he's had a, a lot of bad. He had a really strong track record for the longest time. And it's just, and you can tell he's like, well, here's a guy who's just likes getting the paycheck. And even when he's not great, he's pretty decent. I don't know. I, I, I feel like Eric Roberts. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, like, I mean, I I'm fairly, I have the advantage of like, you know, when they did the premiere of the Rocky four recut, Sylvester Stallone was here. And uh, the critics got to watch the Rocky Four with him, including the weird like documentary of him recutting Rocky Four during pandemic. And like he talked about it, and like honestly, it was like 
Now, I mean, it, it's just funny to watch like a dude who like genuinely has like an intelligence of cinema, right? Talking about Rocky yeah, Four. He he is a way he is a far smarter person than his persona would lead you to believe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's that's what I thought about. I'm like, like he he had a really interesting like sit like hour long sit down interview with, with Robert Rodriguez when Robert Rodriguez had his television station. He used to do a show called The Directors. And I think he actually had a two part episode with Stallone. And like it kind of blew my mind. It's like, oh, here's a person who's who is it's like when it's like the first time you talk to Lloyd Kaufman, if you've ever spoken with him, it's like, oh, shit, you know, here's a guy who's. Who's talking to me about French cinema? And he made the tech. He made the uh, the Toxic Avenger. Um, it kind of throws you, but like, I guess the reason that I kind of lean towards, you know, the idea that you know the artist that is Stallone has passed us is when he had, you know, granted he's made a lot of movies. Uh, he's directed more movies than I'm. I'm actually surprised by how many movies he's directed. I always kind of think about like. When he had the chance to do whatever he wanted, he made the ex- he made multiple Expendables movies. <laughs> Here he could have shown like what he could really do, and he and you know to write for himself again or do whatever you know even though he had multiple chances before that. And he made the Expendables movies, and in recent years the best he's been is when someone else, a young creative hungry filmmaker, took his characters and wrote Creed, and that was the best he's been. Other than him playing King Shark and Suicide Squad, that's you know, true. I, I, do, I do like him as King Shark. Here's here's my thing with it. I feel like I rambled there a little bit. No, no, no. no. It's, it's, it's fine. It's, good. it's fine. And we'll, and Did we'll, you know we'll, that Liam we'll, was in Creed? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. And we'll and we'll wrap up soon anyway. But here's here's my thing with it. I think the issue has not been uh, money or uh, the limitations of Hollywood or any of that stuff. I think the limitation has always been his ego yes yes yes, that's kind of what i was trying to get at because and my feeling on that is because of the early movies he did do like i think rocky 2 is just a poor decision it's such a bad and i mean honestly that's also my frustration with paradise alley is that he tried to make another movie about himself but make Mm -hmm. it more goofy and fun and he can't carry that movie like he is well, not the only, but one of many weak points in the movie is just him, his performance, and 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 the focus on who his character is. Um, the same, I feel the same way. I feel that way about Rocky too. I feel that way, honestly, about the Rambo sequels. I almost feel like he does truly understand First Blood. Like I think he really feels what First Blood really is about, and then he spent the next few Rambo movies trying to rewrite it, trying to do something different, trying to make the character different because he didn't want to be that character anymore. He didn't want to be that wounded and that vulnerable in front of people anymore. That's that's how it feels. I mean, he's again one of his other favorite performances in my Copland is again a very vulnerable, very limited character, and I just feel like he doesn't like playing those characters. But I feel like that's when he's at his best. I don't know. But I I feel like he's one of those actors. He has shown he can do those parts, and he can oh, yeah. still do those parts. I think he has another truly good performance in him. I don't know what it's going to be, where it's going to be, but I truly think that he has got something else still in him. But I'm sure when it comes down to it, you know, you have a scene because, like, he like like going back to first blood. He has shown he can do those emotional scenes. He can cry and be convincing. He can have a lot of pathos. He can do all this stuff to show that how good he truly can be. 
But when it comes down to it, I've spoken to, I'm friends with a lot of actors, I've directed actors. When it comes down to it, you know, shooting machine guns and running and jumping is far less exhausting than putting your whole body into a performance. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing about Stallone. In the, when he is good, he could just as easily show up and just be, you know, just be Stallone. Yeah. But he has shown he knows how to do a good performance. He knows that he can do a good performance. I'm just sure it's just not as fun for him. It's kind of like, and I also, I'm sure it also takes a certain type of director who can kind of cut through the shit and and get through his ego. It's the same thing, different but similar to that of Nicolas Cage, where you can see. I'm sure we've he's done a lot of movies where when you watch him in it, you can tell the director doesn't know how to tell him no, and just he goes off the rails. Where instead of someone actually working with him and building something, I just feel like most people are like, oh, yeah, uh, Sly, you want to go and shoot some machine guns? Fuck yeah, go do that. And he's like, ooh, rah, rah. <laughs> oh, That was good. That was a good Stallone, too. <laughs> Look, it, 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 it. Imagine it, me putting my thumb up when I did it and it makes it better. I, I don't think we've come to any sort of decision here, but I do think we should start to wrap up. But I want to be clear like, I, I am to some extent sad that there aren't more performances like first blood however when he's at his most extreme and he's giving us a fucking cobra or he's giving us a fucking over the top that's also kind of fun in its own way yes yes I, i mean again there are plenty of movies in his long filmography that are fucking torture that are just like why does anyone care about this jerk off but i think for those skeptical listeners who are like, I can't believe we're talking about two Stallone movies. I think if you go through, you're going to find some shit that's great here. And it might be great because it's like a true emotional performance from an actor you don't expect it from. Or it might be great because it's just unstoppable entertainment from a dickhead who just refuses to like limit his ridiculous. Like everything about this movie is his ego and it fucking works. But what I truly, what I'm also thinking about too, so you know, we go, we can always go back to the age-old debate of Schwarzenegger versus Stallone because they are kind of inseparable for each other. And when it comes down to it, and for me, this is me speaking personally, the reason why I always put Schwarzenegger, even though Stallone has done truly better performances, the reason I always put Schwarzenegger above Stallone is Schwarzenegger is not unaware. Of his persona, yes, and true. how he's known. I don't see Stallone ever doing a last action hero, right? right. The last action hero can only be made by uh, by a an actor who tr- is very yeah. self aware of who he is. And you just in like, like while while Schwarzenegger has done some pretty good performances, he's never been as good at like just from a true dramatic sense as mm-hmm. Stallone can be. But Schwarzenegger knows who he is and is willing to lean into things more because because he knows his persona uh, better than Stallone. Also, Josh will tell you, no matter how much I love Rocky and First Blood, uh, there are no Conan. Okay, no. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conan. That's that's genius. my fucking shit right there. That's <laughs> like my Terminator. Shit. From, Terminator is a perfect movie. It is it, a masterpiece. It really is. The it first really Terminator is. is a masterpiece. I got Fuck. two words for y'all too. Running man. Oh, so, <laughs> I'm it's, just saying, man. it's so it. terrible, but I do love, love it. Kindergarten so Alonzo into yeah. it. So Twins. <laughs> <laughs> Although, what was that? He did a movie not that long ago, that zombie movie that Maggie. was pretty good. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. It wasn't bad. 
Yeah. I gotta say. All right, we're gonna, Michael. We're gonna wrap up here. I I think there's more to say to some extent, but I don't want to keep you here all night. Mm-hmm. And honestly, at some point, you just got to say, look, we don't need to pull apart Cobra. And it's fucking proto-fascist leanings or <laughs> or the the fact that it's like uh, it really be as much as this movie. I don't think Cobra was a huge moneymaker. No, but, it lost money, I believe. But I be, but how many movies do you think ripped it off later? Like, I think a whole generation yeah. of straight to video action, let alone straight to DVD action after that actually ripped off parts of this movie, even though this movie did not make money. It, it fucking, it, it was influential for a certain kind of action movie, but like nothing we say is going to, either you are hearing us talk about this and you already love Cobra or you're going to go watch Cobra because you want to see some ridiculous shit, but some we can't sell it to you. No, you're exactly, you're exactly right about the, you know, the, the films that have, ripped it off like so i mentioned before that i'd seen very few steven seagal films the first one that i had seen i actually saw shortly after cobra and i was like oh shit steven seagal ripped off cobra and that's hard to kill pretty much steven seagal's career is based on cobra again not just him lots of people so yeah yeah, he's just the first one to mind yeah, it's it's a it's fucking great. I, I you know I don't want to disrespect it, but you know I do think it's really interesting to compare these two films as two, you know, very close and yet very different moments in this in this guy's career. Okay, hey Mike, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate you having this. Is a great episode. This is yeah, super fun. Thank you for thank you for having me. Uh, let's we we've we've talked about it a little bit, but plug the podcast. Tell people how they can check it out. Tell people where to find you on social media. Do the whole thing. So uh, the shame list, the shame list picture show can be found on pretty much all your favorite podcast apps of choice. We're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Spotify, Amazon and Audible, which I didn't realize were two different things now. Pretty much if it's out there, like I think we're on some like weird like Cuban podcast site my wife found because my wife made our website. If you go to www.shamelistpictureshow.com, my wife made our website. She makes all my logos. She does she does everything. If you see any of our posts on Wednesdays where she where she writes about dogs, that's all her. Um, but we are we're on everywhere. We're on Twitter, which we got like only three followers because uh, Twitter's difficult. Uh, Instagram, we are on um, uh, Facebook. I do physical media reviews on TikTok because that's where you weirdly get views. Uh, and as we talked about earlier or later, I don't know how this is going to be cut together. Um, the Shameless Picture Show, the whole concept, the whole conceit of the show was we wanted a no-judgment zone where we can openly talk about movies that we haven't seen. Sometimes it's big films, like my co-host Nick had never seen Rocky, so we did a, a like almost a two-hour episode on Rocky where I also interview Lloyd Kaufman about him working on that on that movie. Uh, we do a three-hour podcast on Cannibal Holocaust with a res- professional wrestling promoter, which was a crazy experience. We did Apocalypse Now, we did The Godfather, but then we also do... Uh, goofy films like you're the hunter from the future and we did a we call this episode the shameful picture show where we did uh he-man and super mario brothers <laughs> and i personally think super mario brothers is a masterpiece um so like we, you know we try to have fun with it and like uh this season we did the birdcage 
Um, we just had our Boogie Nights episode drop, which my co-host had never seen, had never seen it, and it just cracked his top five movies of all time after seeing it only one time. So I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, coming up, we are we have a Last Picture Show episode in in tribute to Peter Bogdanovich, and then you know Best Little Whorehouse in Texas because why the fuck not? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Hey, uh, great episode. I'm glad you're here. Josh, I'm really uh, stoked that uh, we got to talk about these movies. Uh, if people want to, uh, you know, check us out more, where should where should they look for us, buddy? They can find us on the Facebooks and on the Twits. Uh, it's uh, Cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And uh, yeah, we're, we're everywhere, too, you know. Maybe not Check it cool. out. Check I'm it gonna, out. I'm going to sweeten the deal real quick, too, just because I'm trying to get my numbers up. If anyone listening to this actually goes and listens to any episode of my podcast, just send me a screenshot of you actually like listening to the episode. Find me on Facebook. I've got a very public profile. Michael Viers. It's V as in Victor. I-E-R-S. Send me a screenshot of you listening to an episode and your address, and I'll send you some shit. Yes. That's what we some, like to hear. I'll send you some yeah. stickers and some buttons and... Yeah, we got new stickers coming soon. Love it. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thanks to y'all for listening. Please tell a friend. Rate, Uh, review, subscribe, as that's the currency that means stuff to podcasters, so I'm told. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. Episode 147, Smoke Bob. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.